the show is about to start in 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. He'll be found on the mountain. It's time for Inside the Gamecocks, the show. Built by the Barnuminium Company, served by Chicken Cock Whiskey, and part of the Chief Sports Network. Juice Wells, all the way, touchdown Gamecocks! Pressure, Penny just dives in! It's inside the game, guys. The show. I'm JC Sherbert. He's Phil Mullinax. This is Hale McGranahan to uh, the side of me here. I guess he's to my right. That that way. Um, JB is off today. He uh, had some things he had to take care of, and so we've got Hale and we got Mike Morgan coming in for two power hours, <clears throat> a, a double shot of power hour with the Morg coming up later today. Lots to talk about. Hale, how are you doing, man? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, hanging in there. Appreciate you guys having me on for my weekly deal with you guys. Always yeah. Have you uh, you still follow baseball after the Braves get knocked out or no? Not really. I I, I do know that uh, these these league championship series have gone seven games, and so pretty fun. No, I, haven't, I haven't watched anything. I haven't put anything on my TV. I, my first highlight I watched on social media was that. That Homer Altuve hit uh, mm. Friday or Saturday a few days ago. So, no, I'm not really tuned in, but know what's going on. Gamecocks, uh, probably Jordan Montgomery is going to the series, and if uh, the Diamondbacks win, it'll be Christian Walker. So, a couple of South Carolina ties. I guess if the Braves aren't going to make it, and the White Sox aren't going to make it, and the Cubs aren't going to make it, then it's good to have some Gamecocks uh, represented there in the World Series. Okay, so last week, uh, obviously, it was ugly. Uh, when Xavier Leggett went out of the game, I, mean, I, I wasn't as distraught about this one as maybe the Florida game because when Leggett went out, man, I was like, that's it. I mean, and then when Babalade went out, I was like, well, there goes the season, too, maybe. I don't know if I'm quite at that ledge yet. But, man, have you ever seen anything like this with, with these injuries? I mean, I, I don't. I don't have an answer. I'm not a medical person. I don't know. It's kind of been an issue here for eight years. Three different strength coaches. Uh, what do you? What are your? Th- what are your thoughts? I mean, I just, I'm kind of astonished because usually, usually these things come and go and, and they, they even out. I mean, hell, the turnovers do, right? Carolina gets all these turnovers two years, and then the, the football gods say no, but the injury bug continues. So, uh, your, your thoughts on that, and you know, all that's happened uh, on the injury front. It's it's been a little weird to me that it's 
it's it's really only the offensive side of the ball. I know. Yeah. Obviously, Mo Cobble went down. Stone Blanton's been dealing with some stuff here and there. But knock on wood, to this point, it's just been been those guys on offense, mostly the line, and now the two receivers. And we'll see what's up with Leggett. But yeah, it's it's just one of those things where, I, to me, I, I think it's just kind of dumb, dumb luck, bad luck, just weird luck. I I don't know. It's if it was a bunch of hamstring injuries and, and groins and, and calf muscles, what, whatever the case may be, if it was a bunch of soft tissue injuries, which, you know, there have been those, but if it was a lot of that, maybe you would start asking what's going on with strength and conditioning and all that. But when it's all these offensive linemen, those aren't the – typically those aren't the injuries those guys are going to have. They're usually knees and ankles and maybe a shoulder or – Whatever, but uh, but yeah, I, I just just kind of bizarre to me that it's really been that one side of the ball of defense. I wrote the other day the defense hasn't had that excuse uh, in their back pocket. At least the offense can say, "Hey, we're on like nine, ten, and eleven along the offensive line, and best two receivers are are, are now banged up." So I, I don't know. It's bizarre. All right, so tell me about uh, the defense then since we're getting there. Uh, another disappointing day. Uh, you know, in my opinion, look, that, that catch Luther Burden made on the first touchdown, there's not many. I mean, you know, he's double teamed. I, I don't know that that was the bad call. Uh, I think he's a great player. Uh, I think, you know, just like kind of Shy Smith caught that ball in triple coverage against Bama a couple of years ago for a touchdown. That, that happens in football. What, what, what's killing me right now is crucial downs. They just you know, give up. There's a, a, a hole the size of drive a truck through the trader can run through, or they make a stupid penalty, or they line up off. I mean, there's just – this defense is just in a funk, man. Um, everything from how, how they're calling it to how they're executing it. Is there an answer uh, that, that can be found this year? I don't think so. We all knew the, the the defensive end edge position was going to be a bit of an issue coming into the season. And when you're having trouble getting to the quarterback, you're going to feel those effects in the passing game for sure. That that burden catch the other day, I I, I think it was just him making a really good play. And if, if he had kept burning Jalen Kilgore or whoever they they matched him up with, maybe maybe we could be talking about it like, hey, that that was an issue that that they didn't address and, and all that, but uh, it, it really didn't uh, manifest throughout the course of the day that there are other issues. And like you were talking about up front and they're popping off 10, 10, 11, 12, 13 yard runs on first down. I mean, they had six, I think it was six runs on first down. They gained a first down in the first half. I don't know if I've ever seen something like that before in a football game, not a football game between two SEC teams or two, you know, conference team, you know, maybe South Carolina playing a, a bad Wofford team or something that can happen. But I, that, that to me was just beyond bad. I, I don't know what aside from that. And the defense has issues clearly. But I think that it's been all season and we really haven't seen anybody just make a play. Like 
a very generic way to put it, like nobody's made a play, whether it's an interception, a really big hit, uh, a, a big sack in a key moment, strip. Or I'm, I, none, none are coming to mind. I'm sure there's been at least a couple. I mean, TJ Sanders has flashed here and there. Jalen Kilgore's made some, some tackles. He, you know, he made a nice tackle on a bubble screen yesterday, uh, Saturday. So. But that that's probably as concerning to me, or at least it was before Saturday. Like they just the playmakers have not made plays. And Nicky Manwari, G.P. Smith, um, the linebackers. <laughs> there, there's no place, whether that's them not being put into position to do that or maybe they're just not good enough, maybe a combination of the two, maybe something else. Tommy Hillary's not making plays either. He made plays yeah. uh, pretty consistently last year. All right, so this has been going on for three years. Uh, and against Missouri, it's uh, particularly bad. Um South Carolina uh, has been outscored in the first half by Missouri the last three years, 58-10. to 10. Uh, Gamecocks have outscored Missouri in the second half of the last three years, the 40-30, to 30, which does not get it done. I take no solace in uh, yet again not adjusting till halftime. But, man, this seems to be what it is. Uh, it seems to be like – you know, it doesn't matter what the score is. There, 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 there's no adjustments being made until halftime on defense. Maybe there are, and they're kind of made on the fly. And you know, maybe they do have to get in the locker room and, and really nail it down with these guys. I don't, I don't know enough to know about the process, but you know, I, I don't. You know, I, I think the first couple of years, you know, you're probably okay with that because you're like, hey, it's a learning curve. It's a new system. It's a new coaching staff. You know, these guys are young. They're trying to get better. But man, oh man, yeah, get again. A tale of two halves on defense. I mean, I thought they they, they kind of, you know, tightened up in the second half. Uh, why? Why? Why can't? What? Why, why does the score have to be three touch three scores or more? And and you need that ten minutes for twenty minutes in the locker room to to fix some of the stuff. I mean, what, what what's going on? I don't have that answer, JC. <laughs> I'm not, I know. I'm I, just. I, was I don't just know enough. That, yeah, I, I don't know enough about. The X's and O's, quite frankly, to be able to sit here and say, oh, I think this is going on or that's going on. I, I went back and rewatched the first – most of the first half uh, yesterday. I, I was looking at Missouri's offense and trying to get a sense of what they're doing at. I mean, credit Eli Drinkwitz for calling some pretty creative plays and, and it looked like they just had South Carolina's defense off balance. I, I don't know if – if they're showing some things that they had on film that uh, that they're, you know, mixing up or, or throwing a, a little change up or a curveball, whatever you want to phrase it, uh, they, they're doing some some pretty neat looking stuff. And you know, you'd see a guy go in motion and and the defense kind of shift that way. And uh, so it's like they they probably saw something on film or were preparing for for something that they had seen from earlier in the season or maybe last year, whatever, and they're they're probably ready for that. But all of a sudden, here comes Missouri back the other way, doing something and, and catching them in, in a bad spot. So maybe that's part of what, what's going on. It's like they 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 prepare for, for what they've seen on film and or what they think they're going to get based on what they've seen on film and, and the offense, Missouri, come, comes back and, and does something a little different 
mm-hmm. uh, and, and puts them on their heels. And, and but that's you're you're going to get that really any week. And, and <laughs> that's gonna most happen, offensive yeah. most offensive coordinators know how to do that stuff. I I think Dow Loggins probably knows how to do that stuff when when he can have a an offensive line that's that's protecting better than than it did this past Saturday. Uh, and, and I'm sure we've seen it uh, at, at times this season, uh, but I they're just off, off balance from from aside from that first drive when they went Missouri went three and out and didn't get any yards. It was just they're getting whatever they wanted whenever they wanted it, and was looking really easy in the third quarter. And other than that touchdown drive in the fourth quarter, South Carolina looked like they belonged on the field. <laughs> but those uh, those four drives where, where they got touchdowns and a field goal to go up 24 nothing uh it, it was clear that that one team was way better than the other and that's one thing I, I was thinking about before I got got on uh the show today JC was Missouri's really good it's the best second best team South Carolina's played this season and they'll have a chance in two weeks to say maybe they're the best I mean they're number 16 in the country and got a lot of talent especially on offense I mean we can you know, worry about South Carolina's problems all we want, and that's why we're here. But uh, those receivers are really good. The running back's pretty good. I don't know that he's as good as South Carolina maybe made him look the other day. Um, they, they've got some players, in the, and they're obviously well coached. But yeah, um, got yeah, yeah. So it, it, either way, for South Carolina, going back to the original topic, uh, um, they, they just have to play better and, and get things figured out sooner if they're not playing very well to kind of get get things going and get their, their guys in the right position sooner. Yeah. Put you in a tough position being down four, three or four scores, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Missouri does have Georgia and Tennessee left on the schedule, so we'll find out if what what if they are. I, I do think they're really good, though, and I think unlike some Missouri teams in the past, you know, like going up to Lexington and winning like they did, that – Normally, in the past, Missouri gets behind Kentucky. Kentucky grinds them into oblivion. It may be close. It's like 20 to 13, Kentucky wins. But, man, they turned on the gas, and boom, they they, they got the best of Kentucky pretty badly at, at uh, Kroger Field. Uh, the DJ booth. I'm going to start calling that place the DJ booth because <laughs> the music is just so terrible mm, <laughs> at yeah. Kroger Field in Lexington. But, uh, anyway – uh, yeah, I, I just uh, you know I, I don't know, and I don't know too, man. You talk about personnel, and and I'm I'm kind of a fan of this. It may be an old school thought, but uh, I don't know that like right now with the players they have, and you can't change this right now. I mean, there's nothing you can do right now. If there was an open week, maybe you think about it. I don't know that there's some guys that play linebacker that maybe aren't edges, and some guys playing safety that maybe can't be linebackers. Does that make sense? I mean, just body yeah. type wise. I mean, it's it's one thing to be Alabama and have those big guys and at safety and all that. And, and I don't know. I mean, some people compared Nick Emanuari to Mark Barron, so maybe he is. Maybe he's just having a weird year or whatever. But uh, I'm not sure that speed. You know, that this is a particularly speedy group either. Um, well, I, you mentioned Kilgore. I do think he's a bright spot. So recruiting, there's some good news, bad news. You know, Solomon flips last week. Uh, things are, I think, looking on the up and up with Cameron Fountain, based on what I've heard. Hopefully you've heard the same, my friend. Um, but then the Daniel Hill crystal ball rolled in today. I don't I don't think we're shocked by it. Uh, but it looks like he's going to Alabama. 
writing has been on the wall for a while now and his dad certainly makes his feelings known. So uh, those, those kind of factors are, are hard to ignore. Then you look at proximity at home and, Oh, by the way, it's Alabama. Like, yeah. and he's running back. So, so where do they go from here? Running back wise. Trayvon Dunbar could be an option that they have not offered him. Uh, and I don't know if that's, going to happen for sure, but uh, it, it is an option that's being considered, and I, I would imagine there are some others who are out there. I, I know there are some other possibilities that are out there. They're, they've been evaluating things for a little while, and I, I know we haven't really said that uh, on this show or on, on the site, but um, I, I think folks need to, to realize that uh, – just because we're not saying something or talking about something doesn't mean it's not happening. Like they, they've been looking into other options and evaluating tape and, and trying to, to see what's out there uh, just yeah. because there hasn't been any movement, tangible movement, like with offers and us reporting stuff. Uh, that doesn't mean that, that things aren't uh, being considered. So exactly. Well, We'll we'll see. Um, obviously, Daniel Hill's got to commit somewhere else, and uh, I, I I think if if you've come this far, why not see it to the end? Um, even, even if it, we we think that uh, we know what's going to happen, uh, and that will probably happen, but nonetheless, like you know, you, you've come this far, you might as well just uh, hope hope for the best and uh, prepare for. For the worst, and and they've certainly been getting themselves ready uh, in case that does indeed happen. Although we've come to the end of the road, dude. Well, yeah, as every, everybody, reinforcements do we have for group uh, for twenty four coming in to shore up the middle of the defense? Uh. They've offered a defensive tackle from Highland Community College, who is originally from Bamberg, Jerome Simmons. I think that was a week ago today. I, I like I that. Know. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if there's anyone else. Uh, th- there, there's a, anyone else that they've offered that, that's a, a, a real factor. There, there's a guy named Elias Williams from Florida who's committed to Missouri of all places, who, who South Carolina offered him like – a day or two before he committed, um, and, and he's gotten a lot of offers. Got a lot of offers uh, leading up to that, so I, I don't know if there's anything going on there between the Gamecocks and, and that guy. But uh, you know, they, I, I think they, they probably should feel pretty good about this JUCO guy, being that he's in state. You know, that they're competing with Georgia. He's scheduled to take an official visit to Georgia uh, first weekend or December 9th, whatever weekend that is in December. Yeah, Georgia JC is apparently trying to sign every defensive lineman in the country. I mean, they're they're trying to flip guys who are committed other places. I mean, it's it's ridiculous, and they've already got a bunch in their class. So who knows? Phil, maybe I'll wrap up with this. Sorry, JC. Phil, maybe maybe the answer is is like just see who who's committed to Georgia already, and and you know, go try to flip them. guys. Yeah, go flip one of those guys who's been committed for a while because. He's got six other guys at his position in his class. I tell you, of all the guys that that hurt that went I mean, to Georgia, right. yeah, exactly. They, they lose a kid from Bamberg to Georgia when Georgia's got 117 D tackles committed. 
Now, I'll tell you this about this kid, though. If you're Georgia, you have something to sell because they're missing that Jordan Davis type guy right now. I mean, those guys, they have Stackhouse and those guys inside are big guys, but they're missing that big dude. And so, I don't know, that could be an attractive selling point for the dogs. But, man, he's from Bamberg, dude. You don't lose that guy. You get A.J. Cannon and K.J. Crosby to call that dude up and be like, listen, you, you need to come home. Well, um, anyway, that's uh, that's not good. I, I think the portal, the Gamecocks could be pretty active with defensive linemen as well, but that's always easier said than done. Um, all right, so other recruiting, you had a positive update on Staley, the commitment to Tennessee. Uh, receiver, speedy guy. I know none of us want to see another in-state kid go to Tennessee and streak past defenses. Your thoughts? Yeah, there's been an open line of communication and continues to to be the case. They've still got some work to do. It's, this one's not going to be – and I don't want to say the Mazio Bennett flip was easy, but it's not going to be as easy as that one uh, for a couple of different reasons. But I'll, I'll say that, that – uh, that it's it's going to be a challenge, and whether or not it happens or not, I I don't know one way or the other at this point. But uh, I I think that South Carolina is just going to have to work really hard to to make this thing happen, and it starts I guess by trying to get him back on campus for a game in November. There are four of them, obviously, so he's got plenty of good options to choose from, and. Uh, you know, maybe maybe that happens with an unofficial visit and things go well and continue to, to progress in the, the right way. Moving forward, maybe they can get him back for an official visit uh, at some point in December, assuming he doesn't take an official visit in November. Um, so going to be monitoring it for sure. And uh, I, I know that Justin Stepp and, and that offensive staff is excited about the, the possibility of, of getting him in this class. So, uh, yeah, work to be done, but uh, not out of the realm of possibility. What's going on with Quaysheed Scott from Marion? Marion. Marion. What an idiot, JC. Marion. Marion. <laughs> JC. I'm from South Carolina. How the hell do I say Marion? <laughs> Marion. I just wanted South to clarify that I interpreted JC calling himself an idiot. JC said JC is an idiot, not referring to <laughs> – Quaysheed. Anyway, Quaysheed Scott, yeah. who who's been uh, been on campus a lot. Um, his cousin's TJ Sanders, and mm-hmm. he's come to a lot of home games in Williams Bryce, and I would imagine will be at at least a couple more next month, if not more. I I know the staff was talking to him about coming back for the Kentucky game, and I, I you know in state guy who who has an offer from from the in-state team and in-state team uh, at, at a position where clearly the Gamecocks need some help. They're recruiting him as a cornerback. Um, so he, he probably uh, is being made well aware of that fact that, that needs some help at that position. And, and I think it's ultimately going to pay off and then they can get him in the class. What I guess the interesting uh, variable to this is, is, Tyshawn Sanders, TJ's brother, Quaysheed's other cousin, and classmate at Marion, Marion, Marion. Is, uh, is an App State commit, but he he was offered by Kentucky last week, I think it was. Ooh. So something to 
sort of keep an eye on there as, as uh, this little battle kind of plays out. This would be like a maybe, you know, head to the ledge, but don't jump kind of thing. If, uh, if, if Sanders flips to Kentucky, Scott stays and TJ Sanders gets on the portal and goes to Kentucky. <laughs> Could now, you imagine the, like, the, the oh, meltdown that would happen? This is JC speculating over something that is wild and crazy, not him saying it's going to happen. That, I, I Somebody's going to clip that. Somebody's going to clip that, JC. You I know. They're yourself. going to say, yeah, big, somebody from Big Blue Nation. But that, that would be crazy. That would be wild. But it's not going to happen. I, I think I think Carolina will be fine in that area. All right, Hale, we appreciate it, man. Um, your, your bet on uh, will we have a more positive than thought injury report today or a less or wow. just your final thoughts on the injury report? Because I, I got my eye on that. That's con- concerning as hell going into A&M. Yeah, they they need some uh, some good news for those offensive linemen because that's going to be a tough matchup. Mm-hmm. Whether or not Tariq Babalade and Trovon Ball or Kaysen Henry, whoever else uh, – is a starting caliber offensive lineman for this team. Uh, if all those guys are playing, it's going to be tough. Like they're they're in for a, a challenge. And if they're a, not, A&M's, boy, whoop. yeah, I think A and M's first or second in the league, the SEC in sacks for the season. Yeah, twenty nine this year. Yeah, they're. I mean, that's yeah. been the big bright spot for them. If I'm Dowell Loggins, I may install the wing tee this week. Yeah, I was gonna say, what do you, yeah, of, you know, you know, run triple option all day. There. Yeah, 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 run triple option. <laughs> Let's put Luke Doty and have him run triple option all day. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, thanks, Hale. Yeah. We appreciate you, bud. And uh, I know you got a tough job right now when things aren't going well. Uh, certainly, mad respect for the work you do and the the scoop you bring each and every Tuesday. Thanks so much, man. Thank you, sir. Appreciate y'all. See you. Thanks, Hale. <laughs> That's a hell yes, McGranahan there. Uh, I want to go through a little bit in the chat box before we break, Phil. Yeah, man. I, I, I don't like to get behind on it when I'm hosting because I'm I'm very chat box intensive. You know, that's kind of my style. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, VK says, did they tighten up or did Missouri lose focus? I don't care. I'm tired of the adjustments not being – I'm tired of them not tightening up till the second half. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter to me what happened. I mean, I, I'm just, I, I, I'm, I'm still critical of it, uh, you know. So don't, don't think you're trying to, you know, put a shade on my sunshine there because that wasn't a sunshine comment. Uh, Bruin says, "Remember fall camp? We're here in the OK O line was looking okay and better than people were expecting. Now we know why they were up against our D line. Well, they also had healthy players, Bruin. You know, everybody just think, why does everybody think they have the same five players they've had all season up there?" And and uh, uh, and I haven't heard any criticism of Lonnie Teasley this week, and that's good because I'd have probably exploded. But man, it's like you got a leaky dam, and every time you patch a hole, something else. I mean, when Big Tree went out the other day, and I didn't even know Ball was injured. I had no idea Ball was injured till post game, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, so so you go through the year, right? So so you're worried about tackle, worried about tackle, worried about tackle. Well, Casey Henry finally gets healthy the last two weeks of fall camp and goes out there and starts against North Carolina and gets hurt the first play of the game. Okay, that's that's problem number one, right? So you go through the Sydney Fugard thing, you try Tyson Wanamaker. You know, you have a game 
or two there where the O-line holds up when you put in Babalade in Georgia. It held up for a half against that bunch. That's pretty dang good. You know, you had a really good game. All your games at home on the O-line have been fine. Um, people continue to get hurt. So you move Vershawn Lee out. That's going to be your answer, right tackle, right? And it worked. The O-line had a really good game against Florida. Even Fugar, when he came in, did well. Obviously, he's still struggling. Um, and it worked. I mean, they, 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 that was great. Well, then, lo and behold, Lee gets hurt. So now you're back to square one with Fugar, Wanamaker, whatever else you want to try out there at right tackle. Obviously, the offensive line was completely overwhelmed. And then, lo and behold, Big Tree and Trevon are now hurt. There's a reason those guys, when they started starting and playing, you live with their mistakes, right? Because they're freshmen, but they're your best players. So now you got you have four potential starting tackles out if Big Tree is out. Okay, it's four. It's not two. It's four. Four, right? There's no freshman left to play besides Shivers. Shivers me timbers. Put him in. I guess he can't be any worse than some. Um, well, that's so, what you know. I've been kicking that around for this weekend, right? Because we uh, listen. We all know the the team does not have what it takes at least this year to play anything special on the road. Uh, it would be like a freaking miracle, I guess, to come out of the college station with a win. Is it, is it too early to say throw caution to the wind and just, you know, let the freshmen get some reps this weekend and just try to get at it and get some live experience i mean they they lose this one phil and they don't go to a bowl game they're winless on the road this season away from home. yeah winless. yeah you've won zero over. games on the road yeah over and then you you know last year they did get you had some big wins on the road kentucky was a big win clemson was a big win but you also had some disasters like florida uh and arkansas was not a good loss at the end but then the first year beamer was not good on the road at all you know, the East Carolina win or whatever. Um, so maybe that, that, that's another bad trend when you look at the big picture with this program. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, I, I think this is a terrible matchup because if you're going to there with an extreme, not, not just a patchwork and young offensive line, an extreme patchwork offensive line, A&M's got to have one of those games where they just straight up don't show up and don't care. Yeah. And, and, and that bunch will do that from time to time. But man, after an open date and, you know, they're going to, I think they'll get after it. So that's the deal there. So, yeah, Bruin, I mean, I know everybody wants to throw about everything back in everybody's face. You know, those of us that try hard to let you know what's going on with your program uh, and like, oh, we were hearing this and hearing that. Yeah, but you were hearing that when there were seven guys that were healthy, you know? And, and I do think that the offensive line coaching deserves some credit because they, they've gotten to the point where they patch things and, and made it workable, and then somebody else gets hurt. What what are you supposed to do about that? That's not coaching. I mean, it was the first group to get quality freshman play. So from a developmental yeah. standpoint, it looks like you know, hey, that that one's going to sit on top. You can go hire Sam Pittman uh, after he gets fired from Arkansas. He's best off a best offensive line coach in the country. He wouldn't be doing any better. Not with this bunch. Anyway, Kendall wants to try a 4-3, move Nick to outside linebacker, Spalding at nickel. I don't know why Spalding only played one play. I need to find out about that. He yeah. Is it health? Is it performance? Is he just not the same? Dude was starting nickel and was also a turnover getter 
you know, think about David Spalding. He he he's a guy that can get guys off. He even had an interception earlier this year, but he's been a ghost, man. I mean, David Spalding in the Kentucky game, I think, had an interception and a forced fumble last year in Lexington. Uh, he had a pick six against Troy his, uh, his first year. He's long. He's lengthy. He'll hit you. I don't know where he's at, though. There has to be a reason he's not in. Yeah. Either he's lost his mojo and ability to go play because of all the injuries, or 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 he's just still injured. He's just still injured. So that's uh, that's the deal there. Um, but man, I'd be all for it. I'd be all up moving, moving Nick into the box, probably more like a traditional linebacker or DQ, uh, and trying to figure that out. You know, uh, uh, shit. I'd shoot. I'd. Mm. I'd, I'd almost run a three three five. I, I, some elements of there's just some elements of a three three five they do run. I'd almost think about that too. Uh, Joseph sucks. We're two and five, but it was good to see the program tested versus teams that are equal to better than Carolina. I think fans should hold off on the fire coaches to Beamer and company actually lose to a team worse than them and look bad doing it. Yeah, they they honest to God they have not lost to. Uh, yeah, Florida. The Florida loss shouldn't have happened, Joe. But you're right. The last four of the season, you got to gallop to the Gasparilla. That's yeah, my right. Gallop <laughs> to the Gasparilla. <laughs> you know, things can change because that's that's way more manageable. I mean, and look, people can use the, the, the say the scheduling things and excuse all you want. But, you know, in certain situations, it is. Right. But in certain situations, it's not. <laughs> Nobody knew Missouri was going to be that good. Right. You know, nobody knew North Carolina was going to be that good, although they had an inexcusable loss this past weekend. You know, uh, Florida, yeah, no, no way you're supposed to, no way you're supposed to lose that game. <laughs> uh, not this year. Uh, why didn't Xavier McLeod travel? Coach's decision. That's all I'll say about that. Uh, only thing they're comfortable is playing man. I mean, I said last week, and I don't know enough about it, guys. I mean, I'd probably be totally wrong. Uh, I thought maybe a big old soft zone against those guys would work because they throw through so many dink and dunk passes. Did you notice, like, when they got their offense going Saturday, it was because they found Mookie, Mookie, uh, not Mookie Blaylock, Mookie Betts, Mookie, Mookie Cooper. Sorry. Cooper. Cooper. Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts is a baseball player. <laughs> Uh, not Mookie Blaylock's a basketball player. Mookie Cooper on the crossing pattern, and that softened Carolina up a little bit. You know, I, said, I don't know. Maybe I, I, it seems to me like Eli Drinkwitz loves to nibble, 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 and then then hit you, and then gut you. Gut nibble, gut boom, gut gut nibble, gut boom, gut nibble. Um, so. Uh, he likes to do that, and uh, you know, so it seems to me like maybe you sit there and you just kind of wait on, you know, wait on to throw it to you or something. I don't know. That's what I do with A and M this week. I just sit in a zone and say, "Keep it in front of you, <laughs> Max John." You know, I don't know. yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? Seventy uh, sixes. We'll know for a fact we're being dominated on both lines of scrimmage. And once that levy breaks, the rest is all downhill. I may, I may, amen. But why? What did he do? We're not going to talk about that. Mm. Tim says, I'm not seeing scheme adjustments to offset the constant blitzing and pressure teams are doing either. No slants, design, quick throws. 
I know it's still be tough with the line issues. That that slant thing, a lot of people were talking about it, you know, over the middle or whatever, and they do throw it over the middle. I mean, Tyshawn Russell had a touchdown on a slant. He dropped. Saturday. Yep. Um, I, I think play calling wise, it's fine. The, the issue is they can't get it off. Um, now, I, I, I and now one thing I will say that, that kind of came to my mind was Missouri has played this style of defense before. I mean, it's not a, a foreign thing where they're loading it up, coming after you, attacking attacking your offensive line. And I do remember uh, in that game they won out there in overtime in, in 2012, I guess. Was it 2012, 2013? 2013. Uh, Spurrier was getting shut out, and Connor goes in, and they ran that little middle screen to Mike Davis, like, Five straight times, right down the field. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, you know, Spencer during his time here though has not really been a guy that's gone across the middle. He does sometimes, but doesn't. So maybe, maybe there's a sightline issue. I don't know. I don't know. But I, it's it, it's also one of these things too, guys. You have to keep in mind. You know, on a play call, and Spencer has a lot of leeway, way, and rightfully so. Uh, there's probably there's two or three different options, and it's the quarterback's decision. So a lot of things, it's, it's what he's comfortable with, not necessarily Dow uh, dialing it up. Crager uh, says at least we'll be out of our misery by 3 o'clock Saturday. That is an advantage to have it an early game. I get up, have kegs and eggs, and have the rest of the day to relax. Um, Blah, blah. I'm not going to address anybody screwing anybody out of Mr. Football. Hardesty. You know, look, man, I'm not going to defend the guy. I mean, what is he now, one for ten? High school recruits and everybody's left before that. Just about everybody in his room has left before eligibility was up. Yeah. So, obviously, something's going on. I mean, there's guys in the doghouse that, that, you know, like Rashad Amos was all suddenly in the – for whatever reason, the doghouse last year uh, didn't play. Braswell's not playing. I think he could help. Uh, it took you four games to get to Mario Anderson this year when in the games he clearly was looking good. Uh, and I know Mario and, and the coaches all have said, well, I worked hard to get there and I wasn't ready, whatever. That's fine. But, but you, you, good coaches recognize who their talented guys are and they get them ready in practice. Yeah, They don't they just rely on the talent. To, oh, well, this is not, you know, that's the difference between good coaching and average to bad coaching is the good coaches say, oh, this guy – we got to get him ready, but he can play and he can help us. And maybe they do ease him in. Maybe you don't. He doesn't get the first carry against North Carolina, but um, you know. And I'm not. And I'm not. I'm not. You know, to carry Jordan now. One one of the offensive play calling wise, if I did have one issue, it's probably when they were down there the last time, fourth quarter, and they kicked the final field goal. I would have liked to have seen them give to carry on or Mario a carry in there rather than try to throw it to Amari and Brown. And, and again, that could have been Spencer's decision. Amari and Brown's not a – Yeah. That's not an option down there. Um, it just because Anderson at times, yeah, he may get bottled up, but he may drag four or five guys into the end zone with him, you know, and so – and DK too. So if I, if I had one thing right at that point, you know – Maybe I thought Dowell got a little pass happy. Clint says some pressure needs to be put on Shane to make staff changes. Who's, you know, 
I'm sure he's feeling it. I'm sure he's feeling it. You want us to all sit there and demand staff changes, and then the minute something good happens for one of them, everybody just gets called out in a press conference and told how wrong we are? You want that to happen? Imagine, yeah. How like after after, after the bowl game, after the Mayo Bowl two years ago, like that? Shane, I don't have a question for you. I just wanted to stand up and tell you in front of everybody that, you know, you're going to have to make some changes. <laughs> changes. Face the strings. Yeah, come on. That's not going to work like that. I mean, you know, and he knows. He feels it. Trust me. Plus, <laughs> yeah. his DT recruiting is sucking wind big time. Patience, Clint. Patience, Clint. And I don't want to hear any coaches. I don't want to hear anybody get after Travy and Robertson for defensive tackle recruiting either. Because you know what? You know what? It, he he didn't recruit some of these guys that they've got now. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, Travian's <laughs> off limits right now. As far and he didn't get here until middle of the cycle. That's late, guys. In recruiting these days, most guys. Have, I mean, and defensive tackle, and then you got Georgia taking everybody under the sun. <laughs> get get the kid from JUCO, hit the portal, and and we'll see what Travian can do at D tackle next year, next cycle. Yeah, and Ellis Johnson, Tiffany points out, did run a four two five, and he ran it well. Ellis Johnson's defense, though, Ellis adjusted really well. He's a veteran, and like I said, there, there's I've pointed this out, and this this should I'm not killing Clayton White here. I, I, sometimes though, I've seen so many defensive coordinators through the years here and elsewhere, start off really well and have really good defenses. And then they get figured out. And then they don't adjust or adapt. And so then they end up kind of maybe maybe look at another couple jobs here, there, and yonder. Maybe they'll go back to coaching a position. But they kind of fade away. Jay Bateman is another example I thought of the other day. At North Carolina, his first year with limited talent, pretty good job. Then it got worse and worse and worse. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mentioned Brian Van Gorder. Alex Grinch, who's the Southern Cal D coordinator, was a superstar at one point. So I I, I think it's just the nature of it. I think defensive coordinator. John Hoke. Y'all remember John Hoke, right? John Hoke's still in the NFL coaching. And, and coached one year in college. was was, But, but man, you know, from the time he was at Florida to the time he came out to Carolina, people caught up with him. That's just how – that's just – I think that's the nature of defenses these days. Uh, you know, people talk all the time about, oh, they've caught up with your offense or whatever. And bad offensive coaches are stubborn and stick with it. Good offensive coaches evolve. Like some people talk about Gus Malzahn's offense being figured out or whatever. Well, Oklahoma doesn't agree after what happened this past weekend. Uh-huh. You know, so – and I think that's what separates good from great. And I'll say this too. Shane Beamer needs great coordinators. He has to have great coordinators because he, he's, yeah. he's the type of case, kind of a CEO coach, right? He needs great coordinators. Um, and uh, he mentioned Clayton White evaluating, yeah, you know. Action says, how do you feel about Elijah Griffin? He's still visiting. It's going to be tough to pull him from Georgia, just to be honest. But, hey, Georgia signed 17 D tackles this year, baby. Maybe <laughs> he sees the opportunity because he's a 2025 kid. Uh, they better get Amari Adams at South Florence. FSU is whining and dining him. I know. 
Um, Joel says, is it bad luck or was Jimmy Lindsay not doing his job before he left? I was never that impressed with Jimmy. I thought he did just okay. I thought, you know, allegedly his recruiting was the best part. And, and look, in fairness, I'm not going to sit here and say I looked at these guys that he took and went, ah, you don't take them. I thought they all had some upside. Um, DeAndre Martin, Felix Hickson, Jamal Weiss, they, they all still may. They just aren't progressing fast enough right now. Right. I mean, and, and there's a lot of work to be done there. And when you're talking about three guys, you think one of them, you know, one of them at least, and, and Jamal's probably ahead of the other two. Last year was DeAndre. Uh, you have to think, you know, of those guys, you know, maybe, hey, of those guys, maybe, maybe they can flip one over to offensive line this week. <laughs> Somebody's going to have to. You're probably going to see. Well, uh, what the last rumors I heard were what potential walk-on tight ends playing on the offensive line. Uh, it's going to be. WJM four one. Why would we put Jackson Hughes on scholarship? Seems like a waste to me. Is he on scholarship? Did they put him on after? I thought he's a walk-on. He came here as a walk-on. He's a kid from Charlotte, right? Yeah. I if I if I miss that, he's changed. So. Um, missed out on a couple of receivers because stuck on parlor and then the other guy who who they miss out on. VK, tell me. Are we I talking about that. Braylon Staley? I don't know. Maybe Braylon Staley. Clint wants a little eye formation. Who's going to play fullback? <laughs> <laughs> Pip on up blimp. The portal's going to wreck us this year. Yeah, you can blame NIL for that, bud. Yeah, if if the portal, I, the I'm, I'm not. Line, that's why I, I'm yeah. not entertaining any kind of like. Well, they had a bad year, so they left. No, that that thing is all about the money, all about the money. And you have, fortunately, you guys, you fans out there, you haven't. It's it's actually had the opposite effect. At least where Carolina Rise is concerned, you guys have like the collective's grown with with adversity, and that that's kind of. A good idea, right? <laughs> um, there are some some people that you know have loud, you know, or, or that I don't say big followings on Twitter at all. They, they're kind of just people I notice here and there on Twitter, you know, using lack of joining up with NIL uh, to protest Ray Tanner as the athletic director, which is the just not that that's like two different two separate things. Uh, NIL is for the Gamecocks, right? No matter who the AD is, who the coach is, and I'm telling you, it's going to play a factor if there are changes made as to who will come here. I mean, that's, you know, you got great fans. The whole country knows you got great fans here. You know, you got great facilities. But nowadays, it's like, oh, you're not, you know, we don't have any money to go NIL in with. How am I supposed to win? You've lost before you've won with that. So I'm thankful for all of you that you guys uh, you guys uh, have stuck with it because I didn't know. It's a new business. I had no idea how, how you're going to react in that regard. Craiger says the kid from Chapin can't play fullback. No. <laughs> Just a hard no there. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Trista says, don't get me started, JC. I've been begging for the option for years. Sellers, Doty. A DK running the option would be fun. Keep Rattler in the formation at all times. That would be kind of fun. Uh, VK says we're playing some players out of position on a 4 2 5. 
you know, I VK, I think you're on something there. I don't disagree yeah. with you with that. I because you're talking about Stone's ideal for a four three middle linebacker, but yeah, I'm with you there. When I talk about guys being in bad position, it's personnel matchups. So I'm with you there. Uh, yeah, blah, just blah. not using guys to their skill sets. That's what just seems to be happening. And I don't know if that's because of depth or what, but yeah. Can you find out what the in- injury to Peyton Williams is? Yeah, Peyton Williams. Is, I haven't seen him all year. He's been a ghost. Mm-hmm. So Darius says, "Don't understand why Keenan Nelson didn't play more either." Well, they uh, let's just say North Carolina had a favorable matchup there. I don't know. He may be banged up too. Who, who knows? Combined opponents records thirty three and seven. It is. It's really really stellar. <laughs> When five and two Florida, you know, they're talking about him. It's still, they still shouldn't have lost that game. Yeah. It's kind of the worst team you've played. Oh, besides Mississippi State, I guess. So, yeah, but you won that one. You did win that one for the teams you've lost to. What are some actionable things, Gavin says, the coaching staff can do to improve our situation on the defensive side of the ball? You don't know what I do? And it's kind of radical. I'd put Kawan Banks at safety. I'd switch to a 4-3. Uh, I would play Nick Emanwore and DQ Smith at one of the outside linebackers. I'd play Stone Blanton at an inside linebacker. Debo Williams and either DQ Smith or Nick Emanwore at another linebacker. I'd move Pup Howard and put his hand in the dirt and play him at edge. Uh, and I'd try to out-quick him. I'd move Elijah Banks inside – or, sorry, Elijah Banks, Elijah Davis inside on certain rabbits packages. Um, and uh, maybe Drew Two is on my JT Gear 2 at times, and I would try to, you know, do the Jimmy Johnson thing. Now, can you do that in a week? Probably not. Can you do it in a week and figure it out against A&M and then have it ready to go for the rest of the year? Yeah, I, I think – I think – from a speed standpoint, there's some issues. And and it's okay if you mask the matchups. You know, so uh Keisa says Debo is the only player on D that wants to play physical. I don't feel the physicality we've had in the past. I don't either. Should be. Yeah. Uh, blah blah. Any chance we see Swain at wide receiver this week? I wish. Look, if Xavier Leggett's out, I don't see uh, – what, what in the hell good is it doing leaving Swain on there to play three games – three plays a game at corner? You know, roll yeah. Banks out there or, or let that be Spalding's one or two plays. So, you know, I'm just not uh, – all right, let's let's uh, let's take a break, then we'll take another break. All right. Let's get out of here. You want to take? You want to just double this one? Or you want to you want to take no, one? Come back just, for yeah. a few. And, nah, let's yeah. just double it and get get old. Get the morgues on in here. Get on into the power hour. All right, the power hours. Yeah, and we'll keep going through the chat box and stuff. But uh, lots of stuff. Uh, lots of stuff to talk about. So here we go. All right, uh, we'll be it. back after these messages. The State Farm Personal Price Plan helps you create an affordable price just for you. Contact local agent Gary Patterson for your personal price plan today. 
The preferred sign partner of Gamecock Athletics is Signorama Columbia, and they should be yours too. A full-service sign company that handles design, production, install, and service, Signorama Columbia has helped to bring to life the perfect vision for so many all across South Carolina. Owned and operated by proud Gamecock alumni, they can handle all types of signage, including interior and exterior, vehicle graphics, and more. Go to Signorama.com and find the West Columbia location or call them at 803-407-9284. Bring your brand to life with Signorama Columbia and go Charleston Fitness Equipment is keeping South Carolina in shape. Clients have come from all over the Palmetto State to find that one piece of equipment that they enjoy that keeps them looking and feeling good. Whether it's a home rower, treadmill, elliptical, free weights, a home gym, or something else, Charleston Fitness Equipment keeps the mirror smiling back at you. Get in shape like the Gamecocks do. Visit charlestonfitnessequipment.com. Gamecock owned and operated and proud partners of Inside the Gamecocks, the show. Coach O here, and when I'm not eating average jambalaya or celebrating endless summer in Destin, I like to eat pimento cheese straight off the bucket. Mmm. And the only pimento cheese I like to eat is from Nana's Porch. It's award-winning. It'll melt in your mouth. It's good on a cracker. It's good in a bowl. It's good on a piece of bread. Also, don't forget Nana's Porch has a hell of a food truck. It's award-winning as well, and they're here for all of your catering needs. So get online. Nanasports.com. It's mm-mm good. Coach O signing off. In the summer, go Tiger. For chicken cock, we get a medium to medium plus toast, the char level. We use a number three level char. If you char too deep, you start burning away some of those flavor components that you just created. If you just char a barrel and you don't toast it, you're going to create some of those flavors just on a thin layer just inside the char, but not the actual depth and full extent of flavors uh, that you're going to get if you toast it properly. All those elements, that's exactly what they do. They boil down to great flavor. If you're in the real estate market in the low country or even in the Midlands, please contact me, JB, with Coast to Coast Realty SC. Go Gamecocks. Ladies and gentlemen, here it is. Down here in the South, we don't always see eye to eye. While our taste in college football teams or what sauce, if any, goes best on a rack of ribs or what to mix with our Dixie vodka might be up for debate, we can all agree there's nothing better than a Southern tailgate. And like our favorite college teams, our ingredients come from small towns and big cities. They're grown in southern soil, are crafted by southern hands, and proudly represent the South in our backyard and beyond. So raise a glass of Dixie Southern Vodka to celebrate being made in America and raised in the South. Welcome home. That's what the Gamecocks say, and so does the Barn Doe Company, where they can build your dream home starting as low as $160 per square foot. If you live in the Carolinas, Georgia, or Tennessee, their turnkey process takes just four to six months on average and can be custom designed by size and details. Make your dream a reality. Visit thebarndominiumco.com. That's thebarndominiumco.com. The Barn Doe Company. Gamecock. Owned and operated. Ah! 
South Carolinians, this message is for you, as well as for people in Georgia, Florida, and Tennessee. If you think you may need work done to your roof or a new roof altogether, there's one simple name to remember, Elite Roofing and Restoration. South Carolina native Jeremy Johnson has been helping people in the South make sure they have the very best people checking on and building new roofs for over 25 years. Fully licensed, bonded, and insured, they provide the best service possible. Call or email today, 678-781-1998. That's 678-781-1998. Or you can go to EliteRoofing.com. GA.com. Schedule a no-hassle free inspection today. Wind damage, hail damage, or just wear and tear. Don't settle for second best. Let Jeremy Johnson and Elite Roofing and Restoration take care of it all for you today. Welcome back, everybody. Second hour of Inside the Gamecocks, the show. Ovo 2 just turned. Mike Morgan's in now to start our power hours, the incredible double power hour, as we do every Tuesday and Thursday, with the exception of this week, because, of course, Mike's got basketball starting, so his schedule will probably be a little more erratic and less... uh, predictable as we move through the cooler months but that's okay because we can do this anywhere can't we mike good to have you man (laughs) we can man um good good to be with you guys and uh yeah uh, there's no question football is is a lot more predictable in terms of scheduling stuff like this so uh basketball is a little more over the map but we're still going to get it done there's too much power in the brian spencer power hour to be denied these two days a week, which uh, I hold as precious commodities, and uh, hopefully you guys do as well. And I'm going to tell you what, I'm bringing some power today. Now, I, I didn't get a chance to catch yesterday's show, the postmortem, but I know what that looks like. Uh, I've, 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 I've been around covering this program long enough to know what it looks like. I even went back and did a... Uh, I was looking a Google search on articles when Brad Scott got fired because that was my first year in Columbia. And I, I, I was there. I covered the press conference. Then I covered the press conference when Lou Holtz got the job. Pre- covered the press conference when Lou got fired. Covered the press conference when Spurrier got fired. And then uh, I was in Atlanta when Spurrier hit the ripcord, excuse me, and uh, bolted on a on a, a season that was not going well. And clearly the program was spiraling downward. Um. 
I got a you know, every now and then friends of mine will send links or whatever, and um, and I got thoughts on the game too, guys. So we'll we'll get into that. I'm sure we all go wherever direction you want to go. JC, Phil, you tell me. But uh, JC, you'll appreciate this. So somebody sends me a link from the Big Spur, uh, and they were just I guess they just wanted my kind of feel on it. They didn't really have one opinion or another, and I took a look at it. And it's all about, and I've seen this before, uh, we, we saw this when Muschamp got the boot. It's all about Shane Beamer's uh, salary, his extension, his buyouts, buyout talk, buyouts on uh, how much how much Carolina paid to buy out Will Muschamp, $12 million. Oh, my God. Could you think of what we'd be able to do if we had that $12 million back? Uh, the, the gall to give Shane Beamer $6 million a year after he pulled off back-to-back top 10 wins uh, against Tennessee and snapped the longest home, win, home game winning streak at Clemson, which you could make the argument Clemson still hasn't recovered from that beating. Um, a blowout of cross-state rival North Carolina in the Mayo Bowl the year before. Shane doesn't deserve $6 million. $6 million, $6 million by SEC terms for a coach is essentially minimum wage. Okay. Um, so I'm, I'm just reading this stuff and it's, it, it, there's a lot of follow-ups, uh, and, and again, people just piling on again. I know what this looks like. Like everybody's pissed. It sucks for a lot of people. Maybe you thought this was a nine win team. I mean, the beginning of the year, you know, optimism is always rings eternal. Um, as I've said before, the, the, the only game that, um, I mean, nothing has really shocked me. The, the Florida is a, a, it's a punch in the groin because of the way you lose it. It's not shocking to lose to a Florida team. It's actually pretty decent this year. Uh, the Missouri game is disappointing. The streak against Missouri is disappointing. You just happen to run into Missouri's best team in a long, long time. They're actually legit, and I, w- I wouldn't have anticipated that back in September. Watching them again. And, and and seeing what they do and watching them against LSU, even though they lost that game, and watching them dismantle Kentucky and watching them dismantle Carolina, I'll give it to Eli and company. They're good. Then I see, like, Eli Drinkwitz cops. Oh, Eli, well, you know, why can't we have Eli? Well, Eli's 24-20 and 20 at Mizzou, folks. He's 0-2 in bowl games. He lost to Army in the Armed Forces Bowl and lost to Wake in the Gasparillo Bowl. Uh I love Eli Drinkwitz, by the way, personally, um, having done some of his games and sat down with him. I think he's a cool cat. But does he have a better resume at this point than Shane Beamer does? Based on what? Like, there, there's just so much, like, it's just after every loss, it becomes like a just spew as much venom, just get it out. It's like vomiting. And you hope that you're going to feel better by saying, everybody sucks, everybody should be fired, every decision's bad. And I don't think that's the reality. So I'm going to bring some economics to the table. Uh, you know, I'm going to bring some. I'm going to tell you about buyouts. I'm going to tell you about coaches' salaries. I'm going to tell you about records. I'm going to tell you about history. I'm going to talk to you about expectations, um, and actually give some facts as opposed to just again visceral reactions to another tough loss. So we'll we'll head to, we'll go to that whenever you guys want to go to it, and I'll just follow your lead. Well, I can't wait. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I will say this. Action has a good question here in the chat box I wanted to get to. Uh, and by the way, Aaron, 
Uh, I do think that the the D tackles have been somewhat disappointing this year, but I don't think it's because of coaching. I think it may be the opposite. Maybe they're not taking to the coaching because uh, I, I do think TJ Sanders has gotten better. Nick Barrett's had some moments. Nobody else is really a guy. That, I mean, Elijah, they moved Elijah Davis out and do true two is on the end. You know, I, 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 Hey, maybe the style that Jimmy Lindsay coached was a little bit more footloose and fancy free. And the guys could just, I mean, he wasn't, maybe he wasn't a taskmaster and, and maybe some of the older guys just don't take to it. Um, Travian's a proven D-line coach, so I mean, you're not going to get better than him. Um, so, as Action says, you talked about how you think Carolina might not ever have depth like some teams. Why is that? Because they never have. <laughs> never. I mean, and most most teams do not, guys. Um, Clemson, when they were winning national championships, uh, and one thing Gamecock fans could always look at with them was <clears throat> they were – very fortunate with injuries. Uh, they had the Mike Williams injury that one year. He comes back, does well. They had guys that came back from injuries really quick. They rehabbed well. They they stayed healthy. You look at their depth chart, those championship teams, and if you started getting – you started losing, like, significant guys, like what if you had taken Justin Ross and T. Higgins away from Trevor Lawrence in 2018? you think they beat Bama like that? What if Travis, you know, what if Travis Etienne was hurt? No. <laughs> you know, what What if Christian Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence were hurt? No. <laughs> um, and, and they were national champions, okay? But they were not deep. Your, your schools that are really deep are your schools that recruit in the top five to ten every single year. And not only do it numerically, but actually evaluate really well at a high level. And they stack them. And even at that, guys, in the portal era, I don't know if that's realistic or not to continue that. Like your Alabama's and like Georgia is, um, you know, like Ohio State is. uh, You know, Michigan's a very deep team because they've kind of built a foundation there. They're not overly talented. Uh, You know, Texas is probably a pretty deep team. But, 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 you know, South Carolina's never had depth. That's why injuries hurt. You know, Steve Spurrier's teams did not have depth. You know, they'd have, they'd filled a defense with ten NFL players starting, but go go look back at who the backups were, and then thank the the football gods you never had anybody go out. You know, I mean, outside of Marcus Lattimore's unfortunate injuries, you know, Spurrier remained pretty pretty much injury free. You guys know in 09 that Steven Garcia's backup was Reed McCullum. And if something happened to Steven Garcia in 09, that season would have gone down the drain. And I don't know that Steve Spurrier would have come back. Because 08 was such a disaster at the end. 09 was kind of a renaissance year. But if they lost Steven Garcia that season, there was nobody to play. I mean, you'd probably put Stephon Gilmore at quarterback the rest of the year. So they've never been deep. That's That's the answer. Now, how do you get deep? You just got to recruit, 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 and hope it works out. And it always doesn't work that way. Um, and, and there are just very few teams with depth. And I'm curious to see how the portal through the years impacts some of these teams that do have depth. Uh, so that that's my answer there. So we talked about history, Mike, and we talked about all that. So that that's kind of the history there. Um, so your thoughts, you know, finances, you know, people, people want to talk about buyouts and all that, I think. 
you know, it, it's hilarious to me because some of the guys that there are a few guys that openly complain about the buyout money, but then openly complain about it ha- having uh, about nil money as well. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of yeah. weird. Yeah, okay. Uh, or if you if you don't spend what it takes to get a coach or keep a coach that's hot, and make no mistake about it, Shane was hot at, at the end of last year. Well, then you're cheap and you're thrifty and you just don't get it. I'd rather be the former than the latter. I you, I think some people are still living in like the Mike McGee 1990s era, where if you paid a coach market value. Uh, then you'd still have to have offices running out of the roost. Folks, it's 2023, okay? South Carolina has never made more money than it's doing right now, both in the way of fundraising and, of course, the gargantuan TV money. So if you just look at facts, Carolina's not overpaying for anything. There's not. Like, where does this come from? Do you guys look at the salaries for anybody else in this conference? If you want to be in the Mountain West, you can go ahead and get away with not having high buyouts and and high salaries or giving coaches extensions when they have a good year. Like, that's done everywhere, folks. And by the way, when you see someone has an extension and and you criticize it, an extension itself means nothing. It's the terms that matter. So an AD can get very cute, give somebody an extension, but the buyout, he could lower the buyout or make it easier to fire him in the same breath. Uh, this is what happened with Frank Martin, if you want to be honest about it. Um, so to get all hell-bent on extensions and when they come, how do you give him an extension? He didn't do enough to earn an extension. Extensions, you need extensions if you're going to get players, you're going to get recruiting, and you're going to sell kids that your coach is not going to get fired in six months. Sometimes you give an extension, but that it's it's only it's worth the paper that it's written on. It's the terms that matter. Okay, so here's some here's some economics. I I, I don't mean a railroad. Did you want to get back into depth, or you got some other questions on the chat box? We can save this. I'm cool either way. No, I'm rocking with you, man. Keep going. Okay, and you're absolutely right in the depth. I mean, by the way, there's 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 a certain there's a there's a Grand Canyon difference between the kind of depth that say a Georgia and Alabama has, and again. That there's that next bucket that Carolina's in that everybody else like if you if, if Kentucky has the same injuries that Carolina does, good luck scoring points in Lexington. Like if you lose your top two, two of the top three skill players on this team happen to play wide receiver, right? I mean those are two pros and Juice Wells and Xavier Leggett. So it's two of the most talented players on the entire roster, and they're both out. And so not to mention the offensive line problems. If I took the two, if I took uh, Luther Burden and Weiss. Off the table for Missouri. Guess what? They ain't scoring a lot of points. Okay, if if I took Tennessee's top two wide receiver, receivers, if I took Ole Misses, if I took LSU's, and LSU's got depth beyond belief. That's another one. Like LSU, yeah, LSU can put it together. They can put it together because it's just recruiting class after, rec- and they don't even have to go far to do it. You've got the state of Louisiana. You got I ten. Like it's it's just a different deal. So you're right. Carolina's hardly ever been a very deep team. That's just not. That's not the DNA of this program. doesn't mean you can't still pop for like a four-year stretch, which is what Spurrier did. And the, the good thing is that Spurrier showed it, some success can be done. Didn't win an SEC, but still 11, three straight 11-win seasons. Every other coach is going to have to hear that and is going to have to realize that that might not be done again for a while. 
just like all the other teams in that bucket, are probably not going to have three straight 11-win seasons, especially in the new SEC that's going to bring in Oklahoma and Texas. So when you when you take a look at the reality of the, of the financial stuff, this all started, remember Gus Malzahn's buyout? Gus Malzahn's buyout at the time was $21.5 million. Uh, it was the highest ever at that time. Auburn stroked that check like it was nothing, like it was absolutely nothing. And then they went ahead and they brought in another coach that uh, the fans, they didn't want Kevin Steele, and then they, re- they thought they could get this guy because we're Auburn, we can get anybody we want. And they wound up with Phil Harson, which was about as good a fit as you know, me at Studio Fifty Four today. I like it, it doesn't, it doesn't compute. It was a terrible hire, and, and then they brought in Hugh Freeze. And why was Hugh Freeze available? Because Hugh had to go through the fountain of redemption at Liberty and everywhere else until finally somebody was willing to let bygones be bygones and give him that shot. Um, Sam Pittman, Sam Pittman in the news. You know, Dan Enos just got fired. This will be on the Love Chevy drive around the SCC. Anybody catch what Dan Enos' buyout is? This is an offensive coordinator. It's an offensive coordinator that's going to get fired in the middle of the season. $2.8 million. You think Arkansas, you think they're complaining about, we got to pay $2.8 million to buy out our offensive coordinator? What a terrible move that was by our AD to sign that contract. No, they just, pff, Walmart's got that covered. TV money's got that covered. Bring in another one. I mean, that's Sam Pittman, by the way. Want to know what his buyout is? Old Sam? Sam didn't have it. He was never a coordinator, head coach. $16.5 million. $16.5 million. It's more than Muschamps was. That's four more millions than Muschamps was. Okay? You think Arkansas fans are going to – are they going to, like, piss and moan for a month if they fire Sam Pittman about the amount of money that they spent? On, on the on the buyout, Billy Napier. If Billy Napier loses forty one to thirty nine instead of beats Carolina forty one thirty nine, you know what the talk in Gainesville over two weeks is? How much is Billy Napier's buyout? Thirty two freaking million dollars. And guess what? If they lose to LSU again, if they lose to Georgia again, if they lose to Florida State again, you know what the talk's going to be in Gainesville? Thirty-two freaking million dollars. Let's pay it because that's the way a lot of the fans there are. They're not going to sit there and keep celebrating a two-point win on the road against the Gamecocks. Uh, Josh Heupel has one good year in Tennessee. They bump him up to nine million a year. Clark Lee, by the way, makes just under four million dollars a season. He's two and twenty in the SEC. Mark Stoops is one of the highest-paid coaches in college football. Nine million dollars a year, and I think Mark's done great work. Again, a lot of these guys I have ter- tremendous respect for. But Mark Stoops has never won the Eastern Division. They're they're not, you know, if you go back, what are like the biggest wins for Kentucky under Mark Stoops? They they've done a really good job of beating teams that they can beat and should beat. But they're not like pulling off monster top ten wins. Quite frankly, does Mark Stoops have two top ten wins in the history of his time at Kentucky? I don't know. You'd have to look that up. Uh and then Eli Drinkwitz, who I mentioned earlier. Want to know what his buyout is? $21 million. Yeah, but he just beat Carolina. Okay. Well, he was on the hot seat when the season started. Uh, his quarterback was booed. He had about a 500 record at Mizzou, 0-2 in bowl games, not a lot of signature wins. Uh, and, yeah, his buyout's $21 million, by the way. So, 
I, I, the, these are economics. Like this is 2023. If you want to, if you want to bail on Shane Beamer now, be my guest. I think that's ridiculous. If you want to criticize the terms of his contract, what are you mad about? What What are you mad at? What, how much should he make? What 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 is JC? You tell me. You read. You read these posts. Like what What is? And I and I always make a, a, a just like when I used to host the show. We would take calls for three hours a day. Well, that's two percent of your audience, if that. Well, same thing with uh, message boards. Like they're great; they serve a purpose. Big Spurs, awesome site. You know, I love it. But that doesn't represent the fan base, so I understand that too. But there is a sentiment out there: like any time a loss happens, it's just knee-jerk, criticize the hell out of the coach, the AD. We got to do this. We got to do that. And then whenever you come up with, okay, well, what is what is it going to, you're going to do differently? Oh, we're going to get so-and-so. Okay, well, he's probably going to say no. Then what are you going to do? I just, and yes, I'm well aware, Jimbo's is $76.8 million. 76 point. Now that's insane. That's even, even oil money, you're like, Even ah, oil money, that's crazy. you got to sell a whole well for that one, man. That's right. <laughs> like, ah. But. If he, but loses the, if he loses to Carolina this weekend. If he loses to Carolina, you might see that oil they money come through with seventy-six million dollars. Monday, Monday, yeah. right. Monday he, there might be a check on the desk. Yeah, yeah, it was get a phone call in the eighties. I was Ross Bjork. This is Ross yeah. Bjork. Yeehaw! I got a That's check right. coming your way, old boy. Gigabaggies. That's right. Yeah, feel your when you go to bed on Saturday. If Jimbo loses, that, that Jimbo Fisher's gone. He's a. <laughs> I mean, dude, yeah, it's you don't play Tim Tim Full Tim Tim Fulbright, and I'm, I said your last name Tim because there's a bunch of Tims in our chat box. Uh, I think the opposite: we don't pay enough, especially for quality coordinators and staff. That's not true. Uh, South Carolina pays market value for a lot of these guys. A lot of the decisions are on the head coach. Uh, South Carolina spends just as much as anybody on coordinators. Um, you know, and sometimes, you know, the guys that cost more are always great. You know, our Lord and Savior, Liam Cohen, which is what I like to say, because when he came back to Kentucky, everybody was like, oh, my God, he's going to save the program. I forgot that he had a player named Wondell Robinson that was pretty doggone good. That made a lot of plays that made him look good. Uh, he makes up there. He was in the NFL, and they had to entice him to come back. But, uh, you know, Garrett Riley makes 1.75. He's the third highest paid uh, coordinator in the country. I, I thought think he was the best it, thing since sliced bread. That's what it took to get him. I mean, you know, and that's what he wanted. Dowell Loggins is making a million. Clayton White's making $1.1 million. South Carolina consistently has million-dollar coordinators and has since the must-champ era. I'm not saying they're good, but money has nothing to do with it. I mean, if Shane Beamer wants to hire somebody, Mike Bobo is only making a million at Georgia. You know, right. Glenn, Sh- Glenn Schumann is the D coordinator. It's 1.9 but they've won back-to-back national titles. South Carolina wins back-to-back anything. <laughs> you know, if they went back-to-back SEC titles, you're going to see those salaries shoot up, I promise you. Hey, I if they went back-to-back you. against Clemson, you might see some raises. Yeah, um, so, and look, I, I, Shane, Shane's got a – nobody's got a blank check these days, right, because athletic departments are still kind of working on paying back the pandemic money and all that. But Shane can pay just as much as anybody out there for, for who he wants. It's been, who, who does he want? Yeah. Right. That's who does right. He want? Yeah. The problem hasn't been that Carolina has gone on the cheap and therefore they haven't gotten the right coordinators that that's, that's not the issue. Um, 
and by the way, uh, and I think my chat box is behind yours, but to, to Joel, I don't think people are calling for firing Beamer. It's his staff they are not satisfied with. Beamer needs four years minimum. There, there's a lot of logic what you said, Joel, but unfortunately, I don't know. You, you never know what the pure number is, but there's a number of people that are already, I can just, I, I, I see it, I hear it, like ready to bail on Shane two and a half years in after significant wins already. Um, do you remember Steve Spurrier in year three when he was six and six? <laughs> and he used to a lot go, better now. Offense <laughs> couldn't go anywhere when they couldn't had Couldn't go anywhere. Line either, How many coordinators know? did he go through, JC? Oh, uh, this would have been the end of the second DC because he Tyro Nick. John Thompson lasted six games. Yeah, they switched it up with Knicks. Knicks, and that's what I'm saying. Knicks was really good first couple of years, and then they mm-hmm. figured it out, and he wasn't. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> I remember, I like, remember when we had heck? we had Van Gorder on my afternoon show in Columbia when he got the job, and like 48 hours later, he was gone to the Falcons. Yeah, and then he ended up not having ha- having. He resurfaced at Notre Dame and was pretty good for two years, and then tanked again. And at Georgia, he was unbelievable, like a stud. So, like, defensive coordinators have a shelf life, I'm convinced. But uh, And, Aaron, look, I don't agree with you on this injuries thing. And I'm with you in general. Injuries are a real thing. There are a ton of them. But it's just still excuses. Dude, he said they're everywhere. Everybody has them, some more than others. Others, unfortunately, but it's part of football. Is it part of football to lose 10 offensive linemen and your top four tackles? And your top two wideouts. And your top two wideouts all at once? That's that's kind of a big deal. Now, now, two I, NFL guys. I'm not years. saying the injuries have any a damn thing to do with the defense struggling. That's a different category. Yeah. But offense and these people that yeah you know, keep bagging on Dowell Loggins just because his name's Dowell Loggins and not Garrett Riley. That's been the highlight of the year for me. You know Dowell that Loggins. dude. That dude's yeah. actually. And you wait, <laughs> folks. Be, be careful what you wish for. And I know I'll see some some. And look at I'll, I'll be honest. I was not fired up about the hire either because I, I felt like at the time my audience would not accept that. <laughs> and I was a little selfish about it. But he's done a great job this year getting what he can out of this group. And you wait, there is an OC opening at a place called a little place called Arkansas. Yeah. <laughs> right? And there could be a head coaching job open at Arkansas. And I think you're going to find out what kind of value he really has uh, to at least one athletic director that you guys would get on your belly and crawl through glass to, to replace Ray Tanner. Okay. I'm just going to, I'm just going to be honest with you there about the Dowell Loggins criticism. Defense, completely different story, completely different story. No excuse really for how they're playing. And if that, if it keeps up, you can expect a change there. I'll say it. I, I mean, I have no inside sources there. JC, you're much more plugged in than I am, but you find me a head coach that's been in the SEC for a few years that hasn't fired coordinators. They've all done it. They've all done it. Mm-hmm. It well, Jane now, wants to keep his job, but, you know. Of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. Hey, but, no, but the it, point it, is, it, the, the, what the criticism is is that oh well, this is where the lack of experience hurts Shane. That he can't, he doesn't know how to pick the right coordinators. Well, I can find you guys that have been been a head coach in college football for a decade plus, 
and they make coordinator hires that they feel real good about the time, and the athletic director strokes a seven-figure check that he feels real good about the time, and the fans feel real good about the hire, and he's fired a year or two later because he failed. Dan Enos! He had Dan, one, Enos. Dan Enos had one bad game, dude. He had one bad game. He hung 31 on LSU, 21 on Bama, 20 on Ole Miss. Those were all those were all one score games. Now, was he was he a good fit for KJ Jefferson? No, his system was not, and I knew that. Kendall Bryles much better system, but all the Arkansas fans hated Kendall Bryles last year because when Jefferson went out, they couldn't do anything because they'd have a quarterback. You know, uh, it, it's it, it amazes me. It amazes me. I mean, Charlie Weiss Jr. is the OC at Ole Miss right now, and I think we know who's calling the plays at Ole Miss, right? But, dude, he was at South Florida, and they were ready to run him out. Oh, yeah, this guy, and he gets he goes to Ole Miss, and, and he's got Lane kind of there, and he's kind of the guy behind the guy. And, and now he, everybody thinks he's a hero, right? I mean, it's just it, – it's it's kind of silly. And Fulbright did follow up here. He says, I guess I was thinking more about the choices than the money. I, I get you there. And that's on Shane Beamer. That's not a administrative no thing. But that's that's, a, that's who he wants. Yeah, That's my other point, J.C., like – I, this is not the Shane Beamer uh, defense squad. That, that's that's not yeah. what we do here. I'm just I, I'm just giving you facts. All these athletic direct. Do you know there's ten new offensive coordinate ten new offensive coordinators in the SEC? There was one head coaching change. Right. You got Hugh Freeze took the Auburn job. Everybody else came back, but somehow we have the turnover of now some of those guys. Munkin gets a job in the NFL. Right. I mean, some guys left for better opportunities. And I'm sure maybe those fan bases are like, well, couldn't we just give more money to stay? No, it doesn't always come down to that. But 10 new offensive coordinators means a lot of those cats got fired. And those head coaches, much like Shane, when they made that choice to hire those coordinators, said, this makes sense. This guy can do good here. And for whatever reason, it didn't work out. To get all stressed out about, oh, we, we got a head coach that hired a coordinator that didn't work out and got fired. Welcome to every other SEC program, folks. I know NFL, it's, it's easy to live in a bubble. Hey, it's easy to live in a bubble where you think your problems are the only problems that exist and nobody else is going through them. But you're wrong. You're just wrong. This this kind of crap goes on everywhere. And we can do a whole other segment. If you want to talk about ADs, I'll give you AD. Anybody know who the AD of Ole Miss is? I know you do, JC. I know you do, Phil. Who, who's the AD of Ole Miss? I guarantee you 99% of the people in college football have no idea who the hell the AD is of Ole Miss. But right now, Ole Miss is doing pretty well with Lane Kiffin. Who made the hire? Keith Carter. Who's Keith Carter? Keith Carter was a former basketball player at Ole Miss. You know what his background was before he got the job? He was in fundraising for Ole Miss. Okay, he was never an associate AD like like Ray Tanner. He was never a head coach, two-time national champion like Ray Tanner. He was never an associate AD at NC State like Ray Tanner. He was a fundraiser and a former basketball player that wore his socks up real night right like near his knees, JC, and he could jump too. I was a fan of Keith Carter as a player. Uh, he got the AD job. Is he brilliant, or did Lane Kiffin want to go to Ole Miss because Ole Miss is a pretty cool job where they're not going to fire your ass if you if you go seven and five. Right, they're not going to do that. They're also going to pay you a ton of money, and they're going to give you NIL money. I've heard their basketball program has an NIL pot, and this was signed, sealed, delivered when Beard got the job at two and a half million. Two and a half million. In other words, they're not sweating cash in Oxford. 
If, if basketball's getting that, and they haven't won anything in basketball in a long time, you can only imagine what football's getting. Yeah. But the point and, is, and, Keith, Keith Carter's the AD. Keith, mm-hmm. So if you think you're just going to start firing athletic directors and coaches, hit the reset button, roll the dice, and hope that it comes up seven at the craps table, brother, I'm going to tell you what, do you know what Eric Hyman did? The basketball program was actually in a decent spot for whoever took over for Dave Odom. He inherited a hell of a lot of talent from Dave Odom. And you could have, there were a lot of good young coaches out there that Eric Hyman could have hired. His one significant hire at that time, I'm not talking women's basketball, I'm talking about the big three, and he got Darren Horn. And it was an abysmal, you could argue, it was the worst hire in the history of the program. Then he followed it up with it with – uh, Frank Martin, based on Eddie Fogler's recommendation. And Frank got a Final Four, and that is fantastic. And I like Frank. But he went to one tournament in 10 years. So combined, if you give Hyman the extension to Odom, the hire of Horn, the hire of Frank Martin, that's one NCAA tournament in 19 years. You find me another Power 5 basketball program that failed to make the NCAA tournament 18 out of 19 years. But that's your man, Eric Hyman. Want to talk about Mike McGee? Well, Mike McGee hired Dave Odom, the coach that everybody seems to think was a complete bum. Mike McGee knew nothing about baseball. He hired Ray Tanner on the basis of a AD, or excuse me, the baseball coach at Southern Cal when he was there. And he, the Southern Cal coach, Coach Gillespie, said, I don't know who you should hire, Mike, but there's this guy I can't beat over an NC State named Ray Tanner. You might want to give him a call. Mike McGee didn't know if a baseball was inflated, stuffed, had seams, or laces. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Okay, so you bring in the next athletic director. If you folks think that all of a sudden all these hires are going to turn out like gems and Carolina's going to get whoever they want, I'm going to tell you, reality might be different. It might be different. So I'm just, well, I'm just I, giving you some facts here. I, that's all. I, you, nobody's above criticism. Shane's not above criticism. Clayton White's not above criticism. He could be fired by the season's end. Uh, and eventually you're going to have a new AD. But it's going to be hard whoever it is, to overcome 100 years of football mediocrity minus a four-year span where Steve got it going with one of the best recruiting crops in the state of South Carolina. And back then, you'd have to battle NIL and everything else. And you get it. And once those guys burned out, guess what? Steve was back to a real lackluster roster, a terrible start, and said, shh, I got to get out of here. I can't. I can't get Clowney back. I can't get Lattimore back. I can't get Alshon back. Connor Shaw overplayed his natural God-given ability. I did the best I could here. I got some wins. I beat Clemson five in a row. I got some bowl games, but we're not going to Atlanta. We're not going to a playoff. I I did what I could, and now I'm out. And that's that's it. That's it. I mean, it, I'm just again emotions i get it and you want to just trash everything and rip it first off it's it's not productive but that's a whole other story but just just give you a, a little sense as as when jamie zahn likes to say it give a, a ten thousand foot above view i know what all these other sec programs are doing i know what their facilities look like i know their athletic directors i know the coaching hires i know the finding i know what makes them tick i know the dna i know what south carolina is up against and the things that some people are focusing on as the quote-unquote problem are way off the mark. All right, I'm done. Go ahead. Take a break. I'm gonna, yeah, I need a drink. Give me, yeah, some, of that, give me some, <laughs> some of that bourbon, please. Yeah, let's yeah, talk about some, some, some chicken cock. Uh, by chicken the way, I, I want to say that even though not today, because I have my uh, uh, Matt Foley uh, motivational Matt Foley speaker shirt on. Yeah. 
Well, Lottie freaking nah! Everybody, that's Mike's rant right now. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Is that John Wooden over there? <laughs> uh, uh, anyway, that's hilarious. Um, so, but, but we're dressed by Britons is what I want to say. And like I said the other day, say you're in, yeah, you know, you're going to a Gamecock function or any function, really. And you want to impress people. Yeah, you want to not look like me. Uh, most of the time, uh, go see Perry at Britain's. He's a great guy. Great game. Got listens every day. Just like our friends at electric bikes of Charleston and Charleston fitness equipment. We do have sponsors that have us on. Um, definitely want to thank him. Also want to thank the barn doco. Uh, and, uh, big thanks to them last night for, uh, getting with uh, some of South Carolina's baseball players and doing a trunk or treat event for the Carolina miracle league in Spartanburg. What that is, is a baseball league, that takes special, I believe, special needs kids and gives them a chance to go play baseball. Oh, here we go. Oh, JC. Which I almost is, wish uh, I didn't see it. I wish I didn't see that. I wish I didn't see that. I'm like what? you now. I'm getting overly emotional over a chat box. Listen, it's and okay. I And I generally don't do that. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Bruin Nation, so, Gamecock BBQ. I don't know who this is. I, I got nothing but love for you. Tanner screwed up by talking Spurrier into coming back when he didn't want to. We could have hired Kirby. See, that's not what happened. It's not at all what happened. And if somehow you landed Kirby, which Ray almost did, he would have bolted for the Georgia job the moment that it was open. Period. 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 You would have rented Kirby. And look, I'm going to be honest. Kirby had to go through some learning stuff with his offense and inherited a lot of offensive talent at Georgia. And got to that championship game. South Carolina had none. They would have not probably not gotten Jake Bentley that first year. Kirby's not winning but three games, guys. I mean, Kirk, Kirby's not winning as much as Muschamp his first couple of years. That sounds silly to say right now, but the think about it at the time, Kirby, first time head coach, uh, inherited a good situation. All the credit in the world for him getting him to the he's he's transcended it and gotten so much better as a coach. But but I don't I don't even know that he was the right guy for the job. We will finish this conversation because I want to set the record straight about that. Ray Tanner did not talk Steve Spurrier into coming back. That's I've that is not that. true. I know it's not true, but I, but now, it, it's now, out there. I mean, it's been out there for now, for, the, for ten years or whatever. I, I correct I correct it all the time. Now the school president Pastides, I don't know maybe uh, Spurrier's wife and son, maybe you know. But Ray Tanner. Trust me, I had I knew some people that were in direct contact with him at the time. Uh, he had a short list ready to roll in case Spurrier didn't want to hang it up. He, That's exactly. He, he, you know, he. And by not- the way, I, I mean, you never could have imagined that under Steve it would have fallen apart as quickly as it did. So I mean, hell, I, 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 I wanted to see Steve come back. Of course, I mean, it's a Hall of Fame coach. Uh, his problem too, is he was very reluctant toward the end of his career to make staff changes, and and it was an old dog new tricks kind of thing, Mike. Well, like that's the thing. At Florida, outside of Bob Stoops, he didn't even have any. He didn't have any good assistants. He didn't need them. That's right. He didn't need them because it recruited that school recruited itself. That's you could right. just take, you could just split up the top players from Florida with FSU and Miami, and have enough talent, and then. He just called ball plays all day and was so damn good at it. It didn't matter who was coaching the – I mean, you know, it didn't That's matter. Right. The, 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 he found Dwayne Dixon working in the PE department at school and just hired him as the receivers coach when he got there. It didn't matter that you had John Hunt coaching your offensive line. It didn't matter that look, his, he hired his buddy to coach running backs, his golfing buddy to coach <laughs> running backs. And here's, it didn't matter. Here's, 
one last point. I know we're way over for break. Yeah. Uh, the here, here's this is a lesson learned uh, for hires, and this this was look. I I can like most ads with Mike McGee. I I can give you the good. I can give you the bad. I can give you the ugly. He landed Lou Holtz at a time I thought you needed something, a, a boost of adrenaline. Brad Scott, which he also hired, was an epic failure, right? So he hires Lou. And Lou, I was there for those two at-back bowls. I was in Tampa. It's a hell of a turnaround. It's a hell of a story. And most of that defense was actually Brad Scott recruits, but that's a whole other story. Um, you're gonna When you hire a legend like a Holtz, like a Spurrier, at, that end of their, at the end of their career, which is what McGee specialized in, there's going to be some good moments. They're too good of coaches not to have some good moments. But remember this, it never ends well. Look at the history, not just at South Carolina. When you go that route and you just go, quote-unquote, big game hunting, Mike McGee would get you the big names. When you go big game hunting and you hire guys when it's their last stop, which is historical at South Carolina, the amazing amount of people that came through that program and that was their last job ever after they got fired, when you do that, you'll get some high moments, but it never ends well. It didn't end well with Lou. It didn't end well with Steve. But it's pretty hard to fire a friggin' Hall of Fame coach, okay? Like it's, you're going to be the one that knocks on the door and says, Hey, Steve, I, you're, you're kind of slipping a little bit. I'm going to let you go. No. There are 99.9% of the ADs in the country at South Carolina. We're not doing that. But – just when there is another hire, however many years away from now, just think of that because there's going to be you're going to be flooded with we got to get a big name. We're going to and you're going to get names that are big that are kind of at the tail end. And again, it'll it'll provide some highs, but it won't end well. Yo, Mac Brown was available hmm. when Mustang was hired. Yeah, and. I mean, could I hire him? You, yeah, you could. Sure, you could. I mean, did anybody Na- national, really think? Well, what's national let's remember. championship winning coach Mac Brown? That's right. Let's remember this. I'm not. I'm not convinced of a couple things. First off, not many people were courting Mac Brown. I mean, he was kind of at. He'd already gotten fired by Texas. He was in the broadcast booth for a while, and then he was just kind of hanging. Um, the one school that really was going to hire him was the place that he made famous in the first place, which was which was North Carolina. And North Carolina has had some moments. Hey, but talk to me when they lose Drake May next year. Let's see how they let's see how they look. I mean, and by the way, Mac Brown and I love the guy, but for for all the good, it's a loss like a home loss to Virginia. What you have your best roster in decades in Chapel Hill. That's been the knock on Mac Brown for decades. That's why he got fired at Texas, even though he had a great winning percentage, and that's why fans get frustrated. Because everything goes well, and then all of a sudden it's like the inexcusable, soul-crushing loss. I know. And that happened a lot of Texas, too. So Yeah. Um, all right. And I, I saw him with a really talented team one time escape Kansas when they were god-awful as well. So, I don't know. We'll see. It's good to talk about all this stuff and get it out. In 76, nobody's, like, blaming the fans. We love you guys. We love Not you guys. Not at all. No, we're, that's we're kinda, the best thing South Carolina has in its arsenal. Sort of reacting to, uh, it's a fringe. I'm, I'm, it's, I'm sort it's, of it's reacting to like the the vocal fringe and stuff, and yeah. you know, just, it, it really some, some people. Yeah, it, it, just, it bothers us like it bothers everybody else. I mean, you guys are fine, and I know I disagree with some of y'all, but I mean, you're 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 the you're the top five percent intelligent 
fans that, that are our, you know, probably maybe top 50%, you know, cause we have a big audience, but, uh, you guys are, uh, you guys are great. I don't want you to think I'm ever coming down on you. I, I uh, amazingly enough, you, you have like more vocal people like talking about canceling NIL memberships and stuff out there among the vocal people. Like, like some of these guys on Twitter that are the game, quote unquote, game guy Twitter really need to understand they're not important at all. Like their opinions aren't important. What they tweet's not important. What, what they tweet at me is not important. Their opinion of me, their opinion of others, it's not important. I, I think they think it is because, you know, whatever. Maybe their buddies get on and retweet them or whatever. But, you know, folks like that that sit there like, oh, and I owe money and that are just clueless. You know, that's, that's tough. You know, it, it's tough to tough pill to swallow when you see that because that's what we see and we read. That's not necessarily how people always feel because not everybody that's an adult is out there on Twitter posting their opinions, you know, so we're not coming down on the whole fan base, right? And the you overwhelming know? majority or not. Again, I go back 2% of the people that call talk shows, uh, that's 2% of your total audience. So if you cater to that, if you just cater to, I used to have to have this discussion with young sports talk show hosts coming through and they get all bent out of shape about a couple of callers. I'm like, you realize like 98% of the people that are listening never call. And you're getting all bent out of shape about one guy who calls every day with the same negative message. It's like, what's the point? And I'll say this too, and I always used to bring this up. I'd rather have a fan base that's pissed off that just doesn't care. So nobody can question Gamecock fans don't care. And when I was thinking about this the other day is that here's the frustrating thing for Carolina fans that you look around and you see the facilities. They're incredible. I mean, what what Williams Bryce used to look like 10 years ago compared to now is night and day. Uh, you see the fan support. You see 90,000. You know, Utah has got a huge game today or Saturday. I think we talked about it, JC, on Monday. They seat like 55. That's a sellout crowd at Utah. So I think Gamecock fans look at it and they say, wait a minute, we have all the shiny toys. We have all the bells and whistles now. Why can't we reach that next strata? And you know what? I get it. And I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just telling you that when I look at the moves that have been made recently – I don't think they're the wrong moves. And then the the, the the moves you make that don't work out, like a coordinator doesn't work, well, then you do what every other SEC coach does. You fire <laughs> that coordinator and hire another one. Yeah, this yeah, is nothing it. new. We're not Nobody's reinventing the wheel here. Like Steve Spurrier after his third year. It would, all right, so by the time year four of Steve got here, right, coordinator number four on defense. That's right. That's right. Because uh, you got to count Van Order. For 30 days. And and so Ellis was number four. John Thompson was number one for six games. Then he's like, ah, shoot, I think I'm going to just let Tyrone call the defense. I don't like that stand-up defense you're running. And so Tyrone Nix takes over, does really well the next two years, then just gets obliterated. Uh, and so then they hire Van Gorder, and he's there for 30 days, goes back to the Falcons. And then he hires Ellis, and Ellis was really, really good. You know, so you're going to give – I understand Hall of Fame coaches like Steve Spurrier. You give them a certain more amount of leeway to get their staff right. But I, I haven't seen a coach, even national championship winning coaches like Nick Saban, uh, he did have a core there with him at Alabama early. But you go back and look at his staff at Michigan State, none of them came with him to LSU. You know, yeah. so well, and even 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 he's had to change. We agree that Nick Saban, pretty good coach, knows a thing or two about who to hire and who not to, he's had to fire coordinators. And I'll say one last thing, and I know we got to take a break. Yeah. 
everybody's fo- the Dabo Sweeney thing and the demise of Clemson football. They're focused on the NI the, the portal thing as much as anything that Dabo's stubbornness. And I'm not saying that's not a factor, but to me, the bigger factor is he lost his assistance, and not because he fired him, but because Venables. I mean, how he was able to keep Venables around as his DC for that long is a freaking miracle. Um, and then he lost his offensive coordinators, Scott and Elliot. You, all of a sudden, like that, those are when you're not a when you don't have a great background in play calling. That's that's a big deal. He had all that continuity. That's huge. That doesn't exist anymore in college football. He had it. So while everybody's focused on the demise of Clemson being because Dab was too stubborn to dip more heavily into the portal, I would tell you the bigger factor is he lost some really good coaches that he hasn't been able to replace. That's just my take. Yeah, and, and he, you know, he didn't go outside that. either. You know, um, I think you know, I, I think if you look on paper, probably the best, the best coach and hiring co- like pr- name coaches to come in here has been Will Muschamp. Will Muschamp mm-hmm. hired a lot of proven guys elsewhere, mm-hmm. and they got to South Carolina, and they're like, "Ooh, this is a special place." Uh, what? You mean I, ooh, okay, so this is, all right, well, I don't know that I'm going to be able to recruit here, because I'm used you, to having that G on my shirt, or that A script <laughs> A on my shirt, and it's a little harder here, isn't it? Oh, yeah. The, I mean, the best, re- yeah. Go ahead, sorry. No, the, the best recruiter, bus camp hired was Bobby Bentley, he'd never recruited before. <laughs> I yeah. mean, and, and you know, so, it is a crapshoot, it, it, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Now, now look, I want to say this too. I am not saying that uh, you know there's not issues with the coaching this year. There, there are some coaching things going on, right? Uh, but uh, you know, let, let's see, let's see what Beamer can do. Let, let's forgive. I understand Marcus Satterfield should have been fired first year. I'm with you on all that. I'm with you on all that. Leopards don't change their spots until they have to, and then everything I said about the guy for two years proved to be true. When you look at like what he did, when when they're like, okay, let's give uh, let's give Bo, you know, let's give Bubbles the the play sheet with only twelve plays, and don't let him deviate, and give him some training wheels, and I, and he called and they scored sixty three points, ninety four points in two games against Tennessee Clemson. Okay, all right, so so Bubbles needed to go. Okay, and I think that's obvious, but let's just forgive Shane for that, right? Rookie mistake. Um. And let's see what he does as far as making changes. I mean, I, I think sometimes you grow as a coach, and and, and you you do make mistakes. And, I, and I'll mention Kirby Smart one more time. Everybody's talking good about Kirby, right? Uh, you guys know that Todd Monken was his third offensive coordinator, and the guy hired James Coley as his OC one year. Thank you. You know how bad James Coley is? Think about that Miami team uh, that could not score on Whammy's defense in 2014. Hope- the offensive coordinator for Al Golden was James Coley. Who was the guy after Coley? I sat down with him for a half hour. Um, conservative run guy, then went to Tennessee. Cheney, Jim Cheney. Cheney. Yeah, Cheney, Cheney was first, and then he replaced Cheney with Coley. With and then, Coley. And that's yeah. what they that's the year they lost to South Carolina at home. Yeah. Uh, and then then Coley kind of got demoted-ish. I think he's at Texas A&M now as the tight ends coach. So, and they hired Monken. So let me get this straight. Georgia and Kirby are firing coordinators. Saban and Bama are firing coordinators. Jimbo and A&M are firing coordinators. LSU is fire coordinators. But somehow Carolina is above that, and the Shane Beamer should be 100% on all his coordinator hires. Is that what I'm, is that what I'm hearing? I think so, Mike. Okay. Good luck with that. 
Good luck with that. Yeah. Good luck with that. Hey, uh, break. Uh, time to yeah, break. Yo, Ryan Day. Ryan Day fired Greg freaking Shiana or, or got or, or Shiana go take no right. I think no Shiana took Rutgers. Ryan Day's made some changes. Everybody's made changes. They've man. all done it. Yeah, but because none of these coaches are flawless with their coaching hires. What you don't want to do is just buy like ADs in. aren't. You don't want to buy into some of the hype. Like you don't want to buy the guy, hire the guy that works for the guy, or the guy that just has a title like Josh Gaddis. Nobody ever should have hired him to coach any offense at all. Mario Cristobal did it at, at Miami, and he quickly was fired. But that, that those words you got to avoid. Not not your other guys. All right, we got to get to a break. Sorry, Phil. Sorry, Mike. I'm rambling. Rambling on. We got da-da, we got two more hours. We got one more hour. Well, one more hour. We'll break and then we'll go. Power hours. Hours. So there's a couple good questions on the chat box we can get to on the other side. That's a tease. That's industry tease. Game got barbecued. Nobody say that Beamer shouldn't fire anyone. I got a list. I'm not going to repeat. I'm not going to repeat my list. But anyway, all right, squirrel. All right, so we got to go. Yeah. Hey, folks, it's JB, and as we all know, it's football season. My favorite place to shop for myself and the family is Gamecock Traditions in Lexington. They have the widest selection of Gamecocks attire, plus all the cool accessories for tailgating, cooking, kids, shoes, hats, and so much more. Most importantly for me, you can order online at GamecockTraditions.com, and it's shipped timely to your door. I've been shopping here for years, and I hope you will too. Order online right now on the Chief Sports app. Go Gamecocks! Tony Pope State Farm is your go-to agent anywhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, or Georgia for the service you deserve at the price you want. So try combining your home, life, auto, and or small business insurance today. Tony Pope State Farm has been in business for more than 30 years and can handle anything you need in the tri-state area. 843-851-2222 or visit TonyPope.com today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're on Medicare currently or approaching eligibility, it's time to enroll in a Medicare plan that meets your needs. Palmetto Medicare is here to help you through the process. Palmetto Medicare's owner, Brian Spencer, and his team of experts are here to assist you. Learn about the benefits and enroll in the plan that will cover as many of your medical costs as possible. Some of the advantages of Medicare health plans may include variety of plan choices, increased benefits, lower premiums, and more. Give Palmetto Medicare a call to discuss your insurance and help get the exact coverage for your needs today. Nana's Porch, nanasporch.com. At Nana's Porch, they cater weddings, parties, and all kinds of special events. Their meals are served buffet style in seconds. They're encouraged. Plus, they can bring their mobile food unit to bring on-site and serve your guests as a unique alternative for your catering needs. Inquire about rentals as well. Nana'sPorch.com. Find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 336-259-7550. South Carolinians, this message is for you, as well as for people in Georgia, Florida, and Tennessee. If you think you may need work done to your roof or a new roof altogether, there's one simple name to remember, Elite Roofing and Restoration. South Carolina native Jeremy Johnson has been helping people in the South make sure they have the very best people checking on and building new roofs for over 25 years. Fully licensed, bonded, and insured, they provide the best service possible. Call or email today, 678-781-1998. That's 678-781-1998, or you can go to Elite Roofing. 
GA.com. Schedule a no-hassle free inspection today. Wind damage, hail damage, or just wear and tear. Don't settle for second best. Let Jeremy Johnson and Elite Roofing and Restoration take care of it all for you today. We've had enough talk about inadequacies. Mike, why don't you uh, let, fill us in on a guy who actually yeah. knows how to execute his job? Adequate, adequate. We get Brian Spencer of Palmetto Medicare. Uh, uh, this is this is how you know you're in our circle when we kind of rib you a little bit. That's how we express love. That's my love language. You know, if if I if I give you nothing but bouquets, I don't love you. I I don't. If, but but if if you know we bust your chops a little bit. It's all about love, and we love Brian Spencer. Um, I've known Brian a long, long time. He's uh, he's one of us, I guess you could say. He's a much better shape because he's a CrossFit, one of these CrossFit maniacs. Uh, but he's a Gamecock football through and through. Has a son named Williams Bryce. Loves movies. He's he's one of us, but he's also different in that he launched his own business. Well, kind of like JC in that respect. That's been very successful in South Carolina since two thousand and five. Uh, again, we're in the. Um, the benefit enrollment period, if you will, for Medicare now through the next few weeks uh, toward the end of the year. And everybody has has to know that plans change every year. Your premiums change every year. Your prescription plans. He is there for you no matter what. It's free to ask, and it's free to go ahead and probably save some money. Generally, his success rate on doing that for his clients is pretty good. A couple of your a couple of you that listen to this show have already experienced that and have benefited from that, and he wants more of you to be able to benefit as well. Uh, the phone number is on the screen, 803-960-9484. You can always go to the website as well, palmetto-medicare.com, palmetto-medicare.com. Uh, that's Brian Spencer, and uh, whether you're already Medicare age or about to or you have a, a loved one, a parent, a family member, whatever, uh, go ahead and do what's best for them and you, palmetto-medicare.com. We certainly appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Also, I want to give a shout-out to May River Mattress down in Bluffton, South Carolina, uh, who uh, sponsors my segments here on the show. Certainly appreciate them. Please go in there. They have a guarantee price uh, and a guarantee on quality. Uh, and I know – as you get older, finding a good night's sleep is not as easy as it once was. You got to yeah. have the kind of a right mattress, right? And so, um, you know, you, you got to, and they guarantee it. So, and they guarantee the price too. So, go see uh, those guys down there, Gamecock owned and operated. Appreciate that. Appreciate Britain's for dressing Phil today and not me. I'll be dressed by Britain's on Friday. This is not from uh, Britain's, by the way. And also, also the clothing uh, sponsor, Gamecock Traditions. Obviously, we appreciate those guys. JB has all the information. They're having their midseason sale at Gamecock Traditions right now out in Lexington. Uh, 
driving around Columbia for a couple of weeks, I finally figured out where it was. So uh, it's out in like out toward Lexington, West Columbia. Uh, it's a big, beautiful building, and certainly we we all Gamecock fans have a long uh, history with them, the beat stickers and all that. So we we're proud partners with them. Do you remember and, the Jewelry Warehouse call to the bullpen? Absolutely, absolutely. That that, that was my baby. It's, it's like it's, it's to it's, have to have them and Britons on the show uh, is like. Uh, it's nostalgic for me in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, and also, if you smoke cigars, I want to mention the Maduro Room out in Lexington. If you uh, want to go get some good cigars, uh, head out there. They're on uh, Instagram. Uh, I would recommend doing that. Look at their inventory. Go see those guys. They're uh, also big sponsors of mine. But anyway, uh, Can I, back uh, to go ahead. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. It's uh, sure. good. Oh, we got great sponsors, and uh, as always, they make this not only uh, possible but uh more enjoyable for everybody including uh the thousands that tune in e- each every day all right i'm gonna i'm gonna um tap into my jc spirit animal and read some uh messages on the chat room chat row here let's roll does that sound good okay so i saw one addressed to me so i want to uh, start with that one from joel mike why does the why do the money people uh, uh at, in carolina not support carolina athletics well i don't i don't know if that's necessarily the case i mean one thing I will, t- JC knows more about the dollars and cents than I do, and I, you know, I've come across. I, I used to travel with the football team and the basketball team, and I can tell you there were some pretty high level uh, donors on a lot of those flights, right? Uh, that 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 gave a lot, a lot of money, and they didn't just say, "Well, I'll give you money, but if you lose two in a row, I'm going to cancel that check." Like that's not <laughs> that's not the kind of givers you want. Um, but I, I will say this. Carolina has always been behind the eight ball from a, from a standpoint of geography and commerce. Okay. Um, somebody asked about this a while back and I think they were referring to something I said, and I wasn't here to respond to it about Charlotte. Columbia was supposed to be Charlotte in the way of the banking businesses is what I was told from the, the old Columbia people. Uh, all those banks that you see now located in Charlotte, they were ready to go to Columbia and, a lot of people in Columbia just didn't want the city to grow to that level. They wanted to keep it kind of smaller and quaint, and um, it is what it is. So you, you, you've you got a, a – you don't have a city of more than what? What's the biggest city? Greenville? What is that, Seven. Charleston's, Charleston's the biggest. Charleston's, Charleston's bigger than Greenville? Charleston, Columbia, like in their city oh. limits. But if you count the metro area, I think the upstate's the biggest. Yeah, because Greenville gets Spartanburg too, right, Phil? That's considered one market. Oh uh, yeah, okay, it's, yeah, because it's GSP, and then you know it filters in, and it's all merging. And, and I think out. Anderson's part of that yeah. metro area too. It's, it's yeah, whole. it's like between the three of them, the the largest metro area is the Greenville and surrounding area. Okay, yeah. so but but even that's under a million, right? So you yeah, don't oh have, yeah, 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 you know. So and for example, like Georgia's obviously got Atlanta. That's a huge advantage in recruiting. And then how many businesses are based in Atlanta? I mean, like billion-dollar businesses that you can tap into. Arkansas, while it doesn't have a major, major city, it does have Fayetteville, Bentonville, Springfield. That area is growing like a weed, and there's a just a ton of money. It's a machine, and then we all know Walmart. You know, they again, they don't sweat cash. Um, you know, Florida is surrounded by, you name it, Orlando, Tampa, Miami. A lot of businesses, a lot of money that come in there. Tennessee has Nashville. So. Carolina has always been behind the eight ball in that respect. That's not to say that, the, you know, there's nothing there. There's people that give generously and have given generously over the years. A lot of those shiny new things, 
with facilities are based on donations that that proud alums and sometimes not even alums. I knew a guy, I won't mention his name on the show, that used to travel with us on a lot of trips, and he came into a lot of money, uh, sold his business, never went to South Carolina, but became a big Gamecock fan and gave a lot of money. He was the guy when you needed coin, Eric Hyman picked up the phone and called, and then Ray Tanner picked up the phone and called. You knew that he was going to be a potential guy that would would make that uh, – that financial goal met. But if if we were to do it, JC, if we were to stack it up 1 through 14, eventually 1 through 16 in the SEC, where the money level comes, thank goodness for TV because that's pretty equitable, right? That's almost an even share for all eventual 16 schools. But outside that, in terms of outside giving, you, you're going up against some pretty big heavyweights out there, aren't you? Absolutely, and then, and then there's there's sheer numbers. I mean, too. I mean, um, right. you know, South Carolina, the pop, the fan base is not that big. Uh, it is a passionate fan base, but there's there's probably four times as many Tennessee fans on the planet as there are South Carolina fans. Probably five times as many Georgia fans on the planet. Those states are bigger in population. I mean, there, there's what six point five million and growing in the state of Tennessee. Not all of them are Vols, but that's a huge fan base, right? right? And and then they have guys like Haslam that uh, yeah, just pooping money, you know. Those guys, uh, South Carolina doesn't really have you know anybody like that. You know, Texas is a gigantic, enormous fan base. Um, it's uh, it's it is numbers. Florida is a big fan base, and you think about the state too. You have to sort of split it up with Clemson because Clemson is forty percent, right. probably forty percent, uh, and and they they've had no problem raising money at Clemson. Um, you know, I I don't think South Carolina struggles money. I think with NIL, it, it's a matter of messaging. Uh, it's a matter of uh, not depend. I think I think around here, if there's a problem, people are the fans will do what you want. The fans will do what what's needed to be done, right? but you have to explain why and why it's in the best interest of the program. And if a lot of them are mad about something, you know, they, they want to take it out on everything that has to do with the program. Um, and if you don't do a good job of explaining something, they're not going to do it. Um, and, and that's why you look at the difference between Ole Miss and their NIL situation in South Carolina's Ole Miss's fan base is not, it's not, it's probably smaller than South Carolina's Right. There's not there's 2.1 million people that live in Mississippi. That's right, and they got to split with Mississippi State. Um, it's a fan base, a booster base is probably similar to South Carolina's in the sense that like it's a bunch of lawyers. <laughs> That's what they South Carolina USC a lot, a lot of lawyers. Uh, only law school in the state, you know. Uh, same with Ole Miss and their law school, you know. Uh, but they've got they've got 12 million dollars a year in their collective, and South Carolina doesn't have a fraction of that. Ole Miss because, is a unicorn because they've they, they've had messaging and they have you know they got the ball rolling on it right and, and Lane Kiffin kind of forced them into it because he was about to go to Auburn. <laughs> How much do you think, JC, with the, the the more finite number of donors and potential money people here, uh, and this might be true across all of college football in this new era, like are there donors that are really having to make these decisions as to whether or not to give to NIL or just to continue no. to make, do what they've always done and give to the school? 
No, and there's there's not. It's not necessary, really. Uh, you, you don't like. In other words, okay, so your average Gamecock club donation with tickets and everything's what twelve grand, twelve twelve hundred a year uh, for Roundhouse or whatever. What do you pay? Like five fifty and then tickets and that stupid seating license or whatever that you got to pay. It's about thirteen hundred a year. Well, your average, you know, membership to Carolina Rises eighteen dollars. So it's two hundred and sixteen dollars a year. And if we had as many people, if we had two thirds of the people, the sixteen thousand members of the Gamecock Club, giving that amount of money to Carolina Rise, it would it would more than it would be fine, you know, with some other bigger gifts and stuff like that. I think another thing South Carolina does um, with it with the BRC and BRC. Yes, I do think we'll get there one day. I mean, I, I, that's that's kind of my. I'm, I'm giving it everything I've got, right? Yeah. I've, run into, I, I've run into some roadblocks, right? But I'm giving it everything I got. If it can well, be done, JC will do it. If if if, if, tough, if, right. if donor yeah. like as far as donors go, though, one thing I've also since I've gotten in the NL space going, and, and I don't know, I'm not blaming anybody for this. Okay, um, if I had to put the blame somewhere, maybe it's the, the board of trustees has rubbed some people the wrong way through the years or something. The politics, I don't know. I hate to even do that. I've found people that never get asked to give money at Carolina that are that would more than I mean that would love to, love to. Now some of them are hesitant, and I've got two guys in particular. They don't live in the state. You know, one guy, multimillionaire, very successful businessman. Now he hasn't given a dime for NIL. He's helped out with some things here and there. He ain't gonna got. Well, I got another guy's given you know to Carolina Rise alone a hundred thousand dollars in six months. Nobody's ever talked to them. Nobody's ever reached out, and and there are a lot of those people. South Carolina, I think, is sitting on a gold mine. I think the problem is 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 two twofold. I think a lot of the your core boosters at Carolina have kind of controlled the reins tightly through the years, and they like it that way. Some of them. Um, and so they, they, they'll give and give and give. And so it never gets to, Hey, we need to go facilitate some other money moves here. Right. Um, but there, there's a limit to what they'll give. Uh, I think that's number one. And then I think number two, uh, there's probably been some disorganization, uh, not necessarily in athletics, but, uh, in development in general, uh, at Carolina at times through the years to where, where they're not actively seeking these people. There are, 700 University of South Carolina alums that are worth 50 million or more dollars a year uh, 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 net worth. How many? 700. Wow. I mean, yeah, no, I don't know if all of them are sports. And that's the one thing we do do well in this state. I'm going to turn this into a positive conversation. We do have a lot of great entrepreneurs and self made people that come out of the state of South Carolina. That, and that, that's why Carolina Rise is so focused on business memberships and taking advantage and cultivating that outstanding small business environment that we have in South Carolina. That We do, do, we do that well. We don't have oil. We, we do two things well, small business and hospitality. You know, so <laughs> there you go. Vacations and, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, mom and pop businesses that turn into multi-million dollar enterprises. And, and, and that's... That's just one thing we we have a there's a great business school in Carolina, um, you know, but it's just it's been a little bit dysfunctional through the years, and I don't know that there's one person you can blame, uh, or uh, you know, the board of trustees has been kind of a political hot potato for years, 
you know, so maybe you blame that, blame the setup, blame some strong personalities. I, I don't know, but uh, I I have found since I've been doing it, IL that you know you kind of uncover people that that would gladly give and that are more than capable, means wise, but they just have never been asked. Some of them have even tried to contact certain people at Carolina wanting to give, and they never hear back. Uh, so. Uh, to sum all that up, I do think that if, if there's one complaint that I've had with USC since I was a kid, there is sort of an ivory tower approach there um, in a lot of ways. And and Clemson through the years has drawn a contrast with South Carolina. That it's, it's really not that way now, but for years it was. Boy, you, you'd hear things like people were like, well, my kid wants to go to college. Uh, but you know, and we he got a great GPA. Boy, Clemson's just wanting to recruit her and giving her scholarship money and telling her to have been, and it's all nice when you go over there and they have barbecue and stuff. Like that. And Carolina people act like they don't want to even talk to you, you know. And uh, I guess uh, I don't know why that's been, but uh, and it's changed some, it's changed a lot. I, I will but, tell yeah, you that. That, that that's... The, the ivory tower approach, I think, historically is hurt. Uh, agreed, and I, that's. Again, you know, my time there spanned three people in the athletic director's chair, uh, and I'm I'm pretty familiar with the people that were the head lieutenants of the fundraising. You know, one of them went on to Arkansas. A couple other them didn't work out. A couple others went on to different things in different professions. It's not an easy job. Asking people for money is never an easy job. Number one, uh, but it's a hell of a lot better today than it was five years ago, ten years mm-hmm. ago, oh, twenty yeah. years ago. A hell of a lot better. So on your on your optimistic theme there, JC, people should know that uh, the, the the tremendous strides have been made there. I would only just say again, um, you know, the numbers game does not always help Carolina. Doesn't mean it can't be overcome. It just doesn't it doesn't necessarily help Carolina. Um, Zach, how many people wanted Spurrier gone after the Birmingham Bowl loss to UConn? JC, were you and I on on the air together during that time? I remember it having to go on the do the show like the next day or whatever it was. They all wanted it, them gone. I don't. I don't. I would. People went I to was, Birmingham. They they first of all it was the Papa John's Bowl, right? They Papa ran John's out of. Dot they com. ran out of Papa John's pizza. It was cold as hell. They freaking ran out of pizza. The main sponsor was Papa John. That'd be like if we're talking about salsaritas, and I'm telling everybody to go see Suki, and you go up there, and he goes, "Sorry, man, we're out of tacos." You can't do that. They ran out of. They ran out of pizza. It was freezing cold. Carolina laid an egg, and I can tell yeah. you the the. <laughs> I knew I was walking into a storm the moment I flicked the on, the on mic uh, the next day. And it was, this is not working. Spurrier doesn't care about Carolina. He's all about Florida. We got a, we got a washed up hack. You know, look, look at his record. This sucks. I want him out. That is a real thing. And I'm not talking about the fringe, okay? That was not 2%. That was the majority. Yeah, boy. Yeah, I, I, I was I was down that day. Uh, I think, Mike, I was uh, on uh, assignment for ESPN because the Under Armour game was that day. Because uh, okay. I remember watching. Well, you were the lucky. Pop- <laughs> I was watching the Papa John's dot com bowl from the press box at Tropicana Field in Tampa, uh, which is a gorgeous stadium. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's all god awful. Which worst one? Place of, Tropicana Field in Tampa. Oh, it's the worst one. In the it's the worst thing. They're finally getting worst, a new one. They're worst place I've ever one. been. But yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, somehow they win though. But you talk about overcoming odds. But um, yes, they are the so Utah Major League Baseball. 
And so I caught the whole game writing my stories and stuff, start to finish. And, and my buddy Jerry Hamilton and I drove back because we were staying in Orlando. All the way down I-4, man, he got an earful from me about South Carolina football. <laughs> I was like, I just don't think we're ever going to win. And then, lo and behold, a little I got a Marcus Lattimore signed with the Gamecocks that uh, that February. And, boy, they could have used Marcus on that cold day, couldn't they, against UConn? Yeah. Sure. And things and and he he, he was war, he was the difference between seven and six and whatever and then you kept going from there and 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 it took Spurrier six years man that's um, exactly right and uh, six years you know and I think Spurrier and Shane Beamer both inherited probably it's hard to say Lou Holtz didn't inherit a good situation problem is Lou's first team was just uh, it was worse injured than this because the quarterbacks, six quarterbacks. were hurt. Yeah, they started six, six quarterback. That was a college football record at the time. Yeah, if you had if you had that situation at quarterback this year with this team, this team would not have won a damn Dude. game. I mean, it. Uh, but but honestly, on the offensive line, this is the worst I've seen since then at that at one position. Yeah. Um. But you know, Lou Lou inherited some talent for Brad Scott, and then mixed some guys in there. I thought Spurrier inherited a lot of good skill talent from Lou, which is weird. No lineman though. Uh, I think Muschamp inherited the worst situation of them all from Spurrier because that roster was just gone. Um, and I think Shane at some <laughs> at some positions inherited a good situation, some didn't, but probably a better overall situation than Muschamp. So, um, as far as talent goes, I'm not talking about record and all that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Uh, Marquise Beamer is brother love and will not fire anyone. It's not him. His anxiety is high and it shows. He's not a cutthroat type of person. Uh, I will take this bet in the next season. Shane Beamer will fire at least one assistant. I will take that bet if if uh, if you think that he's too nice to to fire a guy. If you don't think he's cutthroat either, you've never recruited against him or or, or, or got or gotten on his bad <laughs> side. Bad you know, side. yeah. 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 And we, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day uh, that was on the you know familiar with the you know talking about the difference between the last staff and this staff. It's like. I can't believe that the media treats Shane so much better than they treated Will. And I was like, you know what's crazy about it is this. I think Will scared them all. I think that like the people, and I'm not talking about media like me. I'm talking about people that sit in the press conferences. And I think Will never said anything. He would throw his go-to was he would throw out X's and O's talk, which I always liked, you know, but he'd start talking about the vertical field position and, you know, putting your face to the fan, liking it, and, and things like the boundary and, and stuff, and and it just went over everybody's head. And he and he was and he thought he had to replace Steve Spurrier, who was a quote box, right? Well, now you get Shane; he's more affable and nice. But Will never read anything anybody wrote about him at all. I, I know this because I think I would have gotten an earful a couple of times with some of the stuff I wrote. Um, he just he just he, he paid it no mind. He was just laser focused. I think Beamer reads everything and listens for everything and, and monitors Twitter and things I like that. I think that's pretty obvious, yeah. And and so for the media perspective, if I think if he wrote something he didn't like, he'll he's gonna throw it back in your face eventually. You know, especially you know, especially if like things turn, like with Marcus Satterfield at the Mayo Bowl that year. Yeah, he literally looked at it and said, Oh, well, really, the guy you all wanted me to fire for a couple of weeks? Really that guy that just had five hundred and five yards, that guy? So, I mean, Shane's not yeah. something like wallflower. You know, maybe, maybe he's a, comes across as thin skin, but 
that that guy's got this burning desire to win, and he's he's one of the most competitive people I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Now, I, uh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I mean, that's it. That's not. Um, I'll I'll just go on this one. Uh, this is I'll let you handle this one, uh, JC. Y'all keep talking about coordinates from Tristan, trying to give everybody some equal love here, not just one person seven times. Is and then then it becomes a uh, a joust, a duel. <laughs> Y'all can't keep talking about coordinators and not talk potential DC hires we could make that are somewhat proven would come and be a fit. I hear Hampton and Oregon a lot. Coaches at Tulane too. Chris Hampton played here. Good coordinator, up and comer. Travis Williams is the off- defensive coordinator in Arkansas. Carolina's got a lot of players from Arkansas. He's from Columbia. Had a good year at UCF. Okay year at Arkansas. Heck, held mighty Mississippi State to seven points. How many Mississippi State score on the Gamecocks? Uh, yeah, just kidding about that. Um, it's uh, uh, Addison Williams, who used to play for Carolina, is the, the D.C. at UCF. Um, Derek Mason was in the mix last time. Jim Leonard is an interesting name. Um and I'm just oh. talking about defensive coordinators I like who would kind of be on my personal list. I I'm would. Not, I'm not Jim replacing Leonard him right is, now. Yeah, I, I understand. Um, I I don't blame you. I will say this since you brought up the name, Jim Leonard is as good as it gets. I don't. I mean, that's you can get Jim Leonard. I don't think he has any ties. He's a Big Ten guy, right? I don't think he's any ties to the area or anything. But yeah, Jim Leonard is elite. Jim Leonard is. A, uh, a stud. Let's yeah, Chad Staggs at, at uh, Coastal was mentioned here. He's a former Gamecock. So there's a guy, there's guys with uh, guys with ties and guys with not ties. Jim Leonard is uh, currently an analyst at, at the University of Illinois with BD Belima. <laughs> so he's available, right? Hell, I'd hire Pat Fitzgerald. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Pat Fitzgerald's gonna get a head coaching job. But yeah, Leonard uh, Leonard would be a guy that uh, you know I definitely look at. So, and Brian, nobody's coming down on fans. I, I'm just disagreeing with some of the garbage that this particular fan, the inaccurate garbage and unfair criticism that certain people, not y'all, certain people in the fan base have levied. Because I would like for you to be better than that. And that's it. You know, don't get your butt hurt. You know about it. Uh. Jay Diz Tanner has told two different people not to give to NIL. Uh, has he said not to though? I, I, Jay Diz, tell me exactly what he said. I'll, I'll leave that up to to Jay Diz. Um, I mean, I don't. Do you really think he's telling people don't give money to NIL? No, I, 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 I think he's ambivalent. Maybe ambivalent about it. Uh, maybe not. It's well, not his thing. I mean, but I, I don't. I would be shocked something. if he told people not to give money. NIL. Yeah, there's I a mean, big difference between telling to, to not really liking where college athletics is, which every coach and AD I've spoken to, everyone thinks it's an absolute crap disaster. show right now. Yeah, it's yeah. a disaster. So if you think that ADs are going to be like, yeah, this is fantastic, no rules, no guardrails, buying players, and then whoever, and then once we get the players. Uh, then in Oregon can give extra money and steal Jordan Birch away. This is exactly what college athletics is all about. I, I love NIL. No AD honestly believes that. No head coach honestly believes that. If you want them to lie to your face, you can get that. I'm sure there's plenty that would do that for you. 
was did you oh you read you read Bryant's email are different than any other SEC fan base. Uh, Bryant, I think I've said multiple times, maybe not on this show. Gamecock fans are no different than any other SEC fan base in that respect. This is going on everywhere. I mean, Arkansas just paid nearly $3 million, $2.8 million to fire Dan Enos. Why? What do you think that's going to accomplish? you think their offense is going to be revolutionized in week nine? No. No, it's because the fans, probably on the 24-7 version of Arkansas and every talk show from Fayetteville to Bentonville to Little Rock, were insisting Dan Enos has got to go, and they finally gave in and fired him. Uh, no, Gamecock fans, there's nothing wrong with Gamecock Nation. I, I think Gamecock Nation, I've said this before, and I, I, I get nothing out of this. <laughs> I think it's one of the most loyal, best fan bases considering the results. It's easy to just jump on bandwagons when when your teams are doing really well. Uh, but this team, this traditionally, this program's fan base, 100 years of not-so-great football, has always come out and supported it. Financially, attendance-wise, interest-wise, I'd rather have fans upset than be apathetic. I'll repeat that again. So, uh, Bryant, I don't know what you read on that, but uh, that's not at all where we're coming from on that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and some of you need to quit listening to certain people but that, were, that want Hardesty to be fired, that wanted Hardesty to be fired last year, but they didn't know that he was. You know, some of you guys need to – and, and I'm 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 painting people a broad brush here. You, you need to learn who to listen to, uh, and 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 I'm going to apologize for last year too because some of these rumor monitors in particular like to you know hit me up with things and uh, I listened to it and uh, maybe I hinted around about some things I shouldn't have last year too. So uh, I think we all probably just need to learn who to listen to this time around uh, and not get sucked up into the. Jimmy Smith and Rocket Sanders are coming, and Harris he's getting fired. Thing like we did last year. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Eno's firing was a desperation move. Yeah, that's just, that's exactly what it was, and I don't think it's going to accomplish anything. To be honest with you, I mean, it's like if if Clayton White is going to go, if if uh, then you you wait till the end of the year. You're not gonna you're not gonna win anything by doing it right now. It, that's firing coordinators in the middle of the season. You name a situation for me where a program fired a coordinator and then all of a sudden they brought in an interim in in like week nine and they completely turned it around on that side of the ball. I, I, it, you know, unless there's just so much dissension in the ranks and it's toxic. I don't know I don't what the deal was. He had one awful game, Mike. I mean, it, well, they had a bad game against Kent. They only scored 28 against Kent. But, man, they've been scoring in the 20s and 30s against SEC defenses. Uh, the defense has given up a lot of points. Uh, that was just a weird game. So I don't. It, it, yeah, it was. It, I watched a lot of that Mississippi State game. It's truly one of the worst weird. offensive games I've ever seen watching SEC football. It's it set SEC offense back fifty years. All we needed was triple option and first team to like seventeen wins. That's that's all. I mean, that's what we need. You know, and, and each team throws like a combined. Each team throws like nine passes. You play field position football, complementary football, and you win 17-14. Like, that's all that game needed uh, to really go back into a time machine. But, it again, it's just – it's you've lost, what is it, five in a row? Arkansas has lost. We'll have the SEC uh, – drive around the SEC presented by Love Chevy after the break, which might be some much-needed relief. That and Craig's question about best places to eat in the SEC. You name a town, Craig, I'll give you an answer. Um 
but yeah, it, it it's a things are JC. I've been talking about this on JC and Morgan for how long now? Thing, there's a vibe right now at Arkansas where all that goodwill with six pack Sam has just worn off. Do I think it's fair? Eh. Um, but Arkansas, see Arkansas fans, they they can say 1964 we won a national title, right? I mean they can say we got more money than God. We got Walmart. We got Tyson's Chicken. We got uh, what's the truck uh, trucking company? JB. Not JB as in Jamie Bradford, but J- JB Power. Or what is it? What's it called? JB Hunt. JB Hunt. Yes. Uh, a f- friend of mine actually works for JB Hunt. I should know that. Um, so, and and it's a booming population. People that are moving to that Fayetteville, Springfield, Bentonville. I mean, it's the, the gobs of money and commerce are coming in. So they just feel like, hey, Arkansas has been good before. Fifty years ago, why not? Can't we dominate like we did before? Or the most recent example, they had some blips under Petrino. But you could make the argument, even the good years under Petrino is a lot like the good years under Spurrier. They won a lot of games, but they weren't in Atlanta on a regular basis. They weren't winning SEC championships. They weren't a serious contender for a playoff. Like that's that's a different that's a different level altogether. But you're not going to tell some of the Arkansas brass that they they believe hey we can go and so let's go I need I need some if you're not going to fire Pittman today you better fire a coordinator I guarantee you some of those conversations happen well you got your you know you got your head on a stick and Dan Enos and you paid him two point eight million dollars to go out the so Dan Enos gets a two point eight million dollar buyout he was there for eight games or eight weeks. That's not a bad deal. I'm in the wrong business, JC. Yeah, I'll take that any day. <laughs> I mean, I'm in the wrong business. What will Carolina I, uh, do with 120 million per year? Go ahead. Yeah, JD is asking if they were less sad of his duties if we did the work last year to fire the guy nine weeks in. Well, it's interesting you say that because here's the quote from Pittman: "We're trying to eliminate some of the volume we have offensively." Oh, where have we heard that before? Obviously, it was important that we stayed in-house so we wouldn't have a ton of terminology changes. we got to give our kids a chance to win. Seems like nothing ever came easy for us this year. we got to do some things differently. One of it is cut down the volume that we have on offense. And I agree with that, but Arkansas was still scoring points. I mean, South Carolina was sort of iffy <laughs> scoring points last year, but um, they dialed it back. You know, they gave they gave him, like I said, they, they gave Bubbles the, the play sheet that uh, – had only twelve plays on it and said you you running for, you're calling from this and don't deviate, sir. And we're not running all those personnel formations and you're not subbing all that much and you're gonna go fast and let Spencer go throw the ball. Sometimes this game is simple, gentlemen. <laughs> I mean, and we'd all been saying that. Even Spencer Rattler had been saying we had twenty personnel, twenty different personnel packages that were trying to run against Florida and it just gets overly complicated. So, yeah, maybe well, the maybe situation here was a little different than it is out in Arkansas. I mean, I don't think he had a former NFL head coach on staff at Arkansas last year. So it was like you really could be like, okay, listen, buddy, <laughs> you need to this is this is your play sheet, Bubbles. <laughs> bubbles. <laughs> this is what we've come up with. These are the things that we've analyzed and watched and run. But I don't know how deep, you know, Arkansas this year's offensive minds go. <laughs> so far as what was on staff at Carolina last year. By the way, Arkansas under Sam Pittman. Now, Sam, was Sam Pittman hired the same year as Shane or one year before? No, he was hired pandemic year 2020. Okay, one year before. Okay, three and seven pandemic year. The nine and four and 
the nine and four in twenty twenty one. I mean, that was that was the high water mark, baby. And then go to the Outback Bowl. Uh, good stuff. Good vibes. So what do they do? Well, what like every other athletic director does, you give him an extension. Sound familiar? Sam Pittman makes six million dollars a year. Sound familiar? His buyout is sixteen and a half million dollars a year. Are they? Are they? Are they saying the AD is an idiot for giving him a sixteen and a half? No, they're just saying that's the cost of business in the SEC. If they make a move, they make a move. And Sam Pittman at Arkansas is twenty-one and twenty-three, ten and twenty-one in the SEC, and doesn't have nearly the wins against Tennessee and Clemson that Shane Beamer does. Just, just, just a little bit of facts. That's all. That's just a little bit of facts to throw in there. I think as that as that story continues to unfold, you can kind of look at it and go, hmm. Sometimes. Sometimes you, you can look at the way other people do business and you can make some sense out of it. Yeah, it's a, yeah that's the way it is. Sometimes sometimes I think around here you, you go, you kind of look at things, that, like you said, in a bubble, but then you look outside the bubble and you're like, that's ah, perfectly normal. It doesn't sound normal, you know, and, 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 and we, we have a lot of great logical people out there in this fan base that, you're you're not wrong. You're just thinking logically. Well, this is an illogical sport. <laughs> you right. know, uh, illogical things are going to happen. We got to get to a break to, before we do yep, drive around cool. the SEC. We got some food to talk about. Craig's got some questions. The Palmas, great Italian gonna, in Athens. Going to drive around and, and talk about uh, the, the slate and all that good stuff. We'll be right back inside the Gamecocks show. Rolls on after this. Down here in the South, we don't always see eye to eye. While our taste in college football teams, or what sauce, if any, goes best on a rack of ribs, or what to mix with our Dixie vodka might be up for debate, we can all agree there's nothing better than a southern tailgate. And like our favorite college teams, our ingredients come from small towns and big cities. They're grown in southern soil, are crafted by southern hands, and proudly represent the south in our backyard and beyond. So raise a glass of Dixie Southern Vodka to celebrate being made in America and raised in the south. Electric Bikes of Charleston offers the most fun you'll ever have on two wheels. Magnum, Velotric, Aventon Bikes, and more. And they sell to consumers all across the state and offer outstanding warranties and service after the sale. Five levels of pedal assist plus a throttle help you handle the southern heat better but still get great exercise. Bikes are available all ages and sizes. ElectricBikesCharleston.com or stop into their store in Mount Pleasant. Electric Bikes of Charleston, powering inside the Gamecocks, the show. Golfers and wannabe golfers, former Gamecock golfer Meredith Taylor is now a full-time golf instructor in the Midlands of South Carolina. In-person golf lessons are held at the Country Club of Lexington. Half hour, hour, on course nine or 18 holes. And if you're outside of South Carolina, Meredith conducts virtual lessons. Just send in your golf swing for analysis. Gift cards are available for in-person one-hour lessons. Connect on Twitter at Mayor Taylor and find her online at McKellarEnterprises.org. Her email is on the website. Schedule your next lesson today with Meredith Taylor, former Gamecock golfer. Not today, sweetie. One 
heart's breaking while another one is mending. It's all in the ebb and flow. If I had to, I could go it alone. But because you've become my It's now time to take a drive around the SEC. Sponsored by Love Chevrolet. No hassles, no all-day runarounds, no ridiculous add-on stickers. At Love Chevy, buying a car is fun. South Carolina's number one volume Chevy dealer. I-26 at Harbison and at lovechevy.com. Find new roads. All right, let's do it, huh? Yeah, let's go. JC's getting a good snack in for those watching on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. I got a, I got a little little uh, healthy uh, non non carb snack up. You, you when you go three hours, you need a little protein, need a little, uh, little yeah, boost. I got I got trivia night. Or, I'm sorry, bingo night tonight. Yeah, so. bingo tonight. Yeah, bingo night. Speaking yeah. of something nuts, guys, it's 80 degrees outside here today. Is it really? Well, that's warmer really? than Atlanta. I'm putting the shorts on and growing, grabbing a cold one after this. Good man, I might, I might uh, take part in some of that as well. All right, the uh, Love Chevy drive around the SEC. A lot of happenings. Of course, we already talked about the Dan Enos news: two point eight million dollar buyout uh, to go ahead and get rid of their offensive coordinator. <clears throat> he was due to make one point one this year, one point two next year, one point two five the year after that. Uh, Enos was Sam Pittman's selection, of course, to replace Kendall Bryles as OC back in January. This came after he previously spent time with the Hogs from 2015 to 2017 under Brett Bielema. This stretch of eight games was worse than his time back in the mid-2010s. In those three seasons, Arkansas averaged 32 points a game with finishes in the top 65 each year, including the 27th best offense in 2015. Uh, though they're two and six, as JC rightly pointed out, they're still averaging 26 and a half points per game, which doesn't sound like a bad number. It ranks 84th nationally. Uh, but again, during the six game losing streak, Arkansas is down to 21, and, and the, the performance against Mississippi State against Mississippi State was abysmal. And so there you go. They're moving on. Uh, I used to call, you know, I used to call that when you fire a coordinator like that, that's your get out of jail free card. Because you're a head coach and you're on the hot seat, uh, what are you going to do? You, you start firing coordinators, and it's—I don't want to say it's a move of desperation, but sometimes it—it actually is a little bit of a move of desperation. Uh, I think season speaks to the desperation there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, and we'll see. Arkansas's got winnable games. They got losable games the rest of the year. I mean, they're kind of the ultimate swing team here down the stretch. We'll see how <clears throat> how it pans out. Uh, the new polls are out, <clears throat> but more importantly, maybe bowl projections. I don't look at bowl projections in like the third week of September. That's worthless. But we're we're embarking on the month of November. So this is Jerry Palm's uh, list here. He's got 11 out of the 14 SEC teams in a bowl game. Sugar Bowl, Georgia, taking on Texas. That would be in the playoff. 
He's got Michigan FSU in the other half, by the way. Uh, the Peach Bowl, Bama, Penn State. The Citrus, Ole Miss, Wisconsin. The ReliaQuest, formerly the Mediocre Steak Bowl. Tennessee, UNC. Oh, I don't mean that. The Blooming Onions are great at Outback. They really are. Uh, December 30th, the Music City Bowl, Mizzou, Maryland. December 29th, the Liberty Bowl, Auburn, West Virginia. Auburn's got to win a conference game to get to get to that point, but we'll see if they do it this week against Mississippi State. The Gator Bowl, LSU, Clemson. The Disgusting Condiment Bowl, Florida Duke. Ah, <laughs> oh, shoot. I think I'm going to go to Charlotte and watch the Duke yeah. play the Gators. Yeah, Spurrier will be there. I mean, he'll Thank be wearing you. his half Duke ACC championship jersey and his Florida national championship jersey. Maybe they'll uh, let me go to Mayo. <laughs> December 23rd, the Birmingham Bowl, Kentucky Rice. When those two teams meet on the gridiron, you can throw away the record books, folks. Uh, December 21 in the mean streets of Boca, the Boca Bowl. Nothing says uh, cultural familiarity like Starkville and Boca Raton. Mississippi State heading to Boca to take on South Alabama. And yes, if you're wondering which one is the 11th team that I have left out, December 22nd, the Gasparilla Bowl. Gamecocks taking on Georgia State. Familiar guy. Oh, wow. Familiar guy roaming the sidelines on the other side there. Yeah. There you go. That's just one man's opinion, Jerry Palm. Those are your 11 bowl assignments that he predicts as of October the 24th. you have any thoughts on that one, JC? Hey, I've been talking about all week the grind to the Gasparilla Bowl. Um, I didn't know. Is So is the Boca Bowl... Well, there's a couple of things. I don't know what South Carolina's grade point average is right now, but I think there's a chance <laughs> they could get in at five and seven if there's not enough eligible teams. So that's I, one. I forgot about that ridiculous rule. Uh, yeah, because uh, Mississippi State went to one of the, the Gasparilla Bowl a few years ago with a five and seven record. That's A, but B, right. that's what you got to do. You got to grind to the Gasparilla, man. Like, look, the chances of. Uh, victory this uh, weekend because of just simply because of the O-line D-line matchup, it's going to be very tough on the Gamecocks. I mean, I don't care if A&M shows up or not. It's going to be tough. But yeah. the last four games are winnable and they're all at home. And this team's played a lot better at home than on the road because it's, yeah. you know, and so you, you got Jacksonville State and Vandy. <laughs> Those are your get-right games. Uh, and then Kentucky's you very... You hope. But, uh, you know, it's not like playing Charlotte and SC State last year. But, look, there's bigger problems uh, with this program if uh, if they can't beat those two teams, right? Amen. Um, can't have too many more injuries. But uh, And then Kentucky's very pedestrian. Devin Leary, I think, still got his head in his behunkus and, and has since, like, the Clemson game at NC State last year. Uh, they're dropping passes. Kentucky has to go through a gauntlet. Tennessee, uh, they play at Mississippi State, who's who's confident again. They play freaking Alabama before they play the Gamecocks. That's tough coming off that, coming into Columbia that last weekend. And then who knows, the Clemson game, uh, it depends on which direction Clemson goes. Knowing South Carolina's luck, they'll be 8-3. and three. 
having beaten Notre Dame and North Carolina and everybody else under the sun and rolling. But uh, if they're not, you know, they have trouble scoring. It's in Columbia. Uh, you know, you could you could win that. So if you can get the guest for really get the six and six and beat Clemson for a second straight year, given all the crap that's happened, that is a hell of a year. I'd almost rather go to a tier three bowl game and win than a tier two bowl game and lose. Yep. Because, yeah. I mean, the benefits of the extra practice and everything are the same. They're all on national TV. People are either going to watch them or they're not. They all get ratings, by the way, for those that say, there's too many bowl games. People are watching. So, I mean, this the reality is that they're not going anywhere, even when we do have an expanded playoff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Look, if you can get there, great. By the way, Kentucky, another one of those uh, teams that fired their offensive coordinator. Scangarillo lasted all of 12 months. Then mm-hmm. they went back to Liam Cohen, and the offense still has struggles. Maybe they'll maybe they'll fire another coordinator. Maybe they'll, you know, just again, everybody's firing coordinators left and right, um, paying buyouts to do so. Welcome to the modern day of college football. All right, looking at the Saturday slate, you got Georgia, Florida. This game hasn't felt incredibly relevant for a while because Georgia's thoroughly dominated the series. Florida's coming off a bye. Uh, maybe they feel like with the win in Columbia a couple weeks ago, in a dramatic fashion, that they've got the confidence necessary to do it. No Brock Bowers. All that being said, Georgia's still a 14.5-point favorite. Vandy is at Ole Miss. Uh, Vandy in danger of falling to 0-5 in the SEC. 0-5 in the SEC. By the way, Clark Lee, just under $4 million salary, 2-20 and in the SEC is his uh, coaching record. That's a tough job. I mean, everybody knows it. I think Clark's the perfect guy for the job, but it might work. It might not. I, I would have made the same hire if I was the AD there. Uh, we don't really care about Florida State Wake Forest in the SEC report. No, we're driving around the SEC, folks. We got our... We borrowed J.C.'s El Camino. We keep rolling. We're cruising. We got Mississippi State at Auburn. Uh, Auburn is 0-4 in the SEC. You kind of get the feeling they're due for one. They're a a 6.5-point favorite at home. That's 3.30 on the SEC Network. Tennessee, Kentucky. Both teams' identical records. 5-2 overall. 2-2 in the SEC. That's a tough one to handicap. Tennessee's a a 3.5-point road favorite. In that game, Kentucky mm. is—it's um, not typical Kentucky. They don't have the big blue wall dominating offensive line. They have the worst drop rate of any receiving core in the country. Their defense is good, but not overly dominating. Um, I'll be very curious to see how Tennessee gets off the mat after squandering a big lead to Alabama. And finally, Gamecocks, Aggies, Kyle Field, over a hundred thousand strong. Texas A&M, a fourteen. Point favorite in that game. Uh, we have an update on Xavier Leggett injury. Out. May travel. Yeah. Okay. Doubtful. I'd say doubtful. Okay. Amari and Brown doubtful. It looks like and Juice, of course. I mean, Jeez. Are, are we going to see? Uh, other mean, than that, Mrs. Kennedy, how was? Excuse me, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? No, that was the play. <laughs> Other than that, Mrs. Kennedy, how was the drive through Dallas? Uh, too soon. Too soon. That's too soon. That's just not. That's not right. This is. I almost I, knocked you know, off I don't his chair with that. Caution to the wind, and just you know, play all your freshmen and just let them get beat up, and then you know, or like, 
punt. You you get to come home for four straight games, and you don't want to get hurt down there with what you do have left. When yeah. you have four winnable or toss up games at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, I told you for a while now the matchups that I liked and the matchups that I didn't like and the matchups I thought were the big swing games. Two of them have already been played. The big swing games. We know how they went. Florida, Mizzou, Kentucky's the other one. I didn't like the Georgia matchup, even though Carolina played that well the first half. I don't like this matchup. I just no. <laughs> I just don't like it for a number of different reasons, particularly the line of scrimmage. If you can't block some of these other mediocre defenses, how the hell are you going to block A&M? That's, that just spells problems to me. Spencer Rattler is running for his life. And I got to say this, too, about Spencer Rattler. You could not ask for a kid. I I look at what's going on right now at Southern Cal with Caleb Williams, and he's not doing anything to deny Emmanuel Ocho's comments about maybe you should just lay down and sit the rest of the year out and just quit. You got your dad and you got you telling NFL teams you're not going to go play unless you get stock in the team. His body language sucks every time something goes wrong. It's not his fault. It's somebody. And I look at Spencer Rattler, and I guarantee you NFL scouts are noticing this. That kid, that kid does everything right, everything, and and he is is at every reason to just be a sour grape about coming back and not having a ton of help and running for his life. And he always says the right thing, does the right thing, keeps him in games when he can. I don't know how if history is going to remember it this way, but like he is definitely one of the best to ever do it in Columbia. Certainly the most physically gifted, but I don't care what the stats say. You couldn't ask for much more out of that guy. And that is the drive around the SEC presented by Wes yeah, Shepard. Look, he's going to – like if I'm the Chicago Bears, I don't know that I don't use those top two picks on something else and, and – Maybe pick up a Rattler later or something uh, instead of going with the Caleb Williams headache, if that happens. Heck, the Bears have this quarterback from nowhere that's winning now all of a sudden. So, Shepard? Yeah, Shepard College. Uh, you remember that song, the Ozzy Osbourne, The Road to Nowhere? The Road to Nowhere leads to me. That's what I think about when I think about that guy. Anyway, look, Leggett's not out. Necessarily, he hasn't been ruled out. I just looked at the uh, the the the. He's not in the same category as Amari and Brown and Juice Wells. They're out. Leggett's uh, questionable. So I don't know. Maybe he'll play, and if he does, that gives you some hope. I don't know that there's much hope if Xavier Leggett doesn't play, guys. Just no, it's just uh, what, your do you trot what, him out there and risk him getting more hurt? That's my thing. Ah, uh, depends. Um, what's the what's the injuries? What I want to know. It's upper body. Yeah. Well, what is it? Is it a finger? Is it a shoulder? Is it a contusion? Is it a peck? What is it? And, and I can playing tell a game you of operation. That's <laughs> You know, Quantrill asked if I had a percentage on juice coming back. I don't know, man. I mean, like coming back next year, I don't think it's out of the question he comes back next year because he's probably not going to get drafted now. You don't uh, think? Dude, the, the receiving the receiving class in this draft is like good, good, good. Shit. Oh, it's loaded. It's and, juiced. 
Yes. And he's good. He's good. But, man, when you're splitting hairs like that, deciding who to take, you're probably going to take the guy that produced the last year he played football and not the guy that sat out with an injury. So, and, and you know, you know, NFL people are. They're probably sneaky about it. We don't want to pay him. Well, advice, so. and the other thing is, I mean, a guy like that is going to go to a combine. So, if he's if he's really confident in his 40 and shuttle and agility drills – What's that? If he's healthy enough. Well, yeah, know. but I, that's and I guarantee there's people in his ear saying right now, just just sit it out, get healthy for the combine, yeah. and then we're out. Yeah, that's it, what typical kids do this day and age. Well, here's some positive South Carolina NIL news. He's making a boatload of it. <laughs> he's he's doing all right. You know, yeah, so trust me, he has more deals than anybody. He drives a Lamborghini for God's sake. Uh, so. <laughs> You know, and he's the type of kid, too, that's really not like last year when other kids were hitting the portal or whatever, and he didn't have that much NL money last year, man, and didn't really want to go pro. You know, uh, he wanted to stay in South Carolina. He's the type that could do it if you ask, if, you know, if anybody would. But uh, I don't know. I'd, I'd love for South Carolina to have him back and put him with Lenore Sellers and uh, – Better offensive line in year two of Mario Anderson at running back and whoever the hell else they can get at running back. and You know, but um, that's it. South Carolina needs to run the ball. Do we have another break, Phil? Yeah, technically we do. We're going to do that and then talk about Yeah, the and then just wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. All right. That's we'll be right. back after these messages. Chicken cock originated in Kentucky, like so many other bourbons. And so the resurrection of it, you know, Paris, Kentucky, that's the county seat of Bourbon County. So much of this whiskey was being made in that Bourbon County, put on ships and barges and shipped down Ohio, down the Mississippi, and got to New Orleans where it got distributed all over the world. And people kept saying, well, hey, I want some more of that whiskey from Bourbon County. And so that's how Bourbon Whiskey uh, got its name. And Chicken Cock originated actually in Paris, Kentucky, and, and which is today Bourbon County. If you're in the upstate of South Carolina and are in need of residential real estate services, Cindy Bass, Sear Foss of Caldwell Banker Kane is for you. Ask her about the village at Creekside, all of her listings in my hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina, right there on Daniel Morgan Avenue, married to a lifelong Gamecock fan and many of our listeners have already bought homes from her and been 100% satisfied with the detail and care she uses. Cindy Searfoss, 864-414-5271, Caldwell Banker Kane in the upstate for your real estate needs. Building your dream home is often just that, a dream and sometimes a nightmare. But at the Barndo Company, they commit to quality and build without sacrifice. Customization, open floor plans, limitless flooring options, maintenance-free and easy insulation perks, and affordability are just a few reasons why they've been named one of the best builders in the U.S. Believe in your dreams. Visit thebarndominiumco.com. That's thebarndominiumco.com. The Barndo Company. Gamecock owned. Gamecock operated. 
The preferred sign partner of Gamecock Athletics is Signorama Columbia, and they should be yours too. A full-service sign company that handles design, production, install, and service, Signorama Columbia has helped to bring to life the perfect vision for so many all across South Carolina. Owned and operated by proud Gamecock alumni, they can handle all types of signage, including interior and exterior, vehicle graphics, and more. Go to Signorama.com and find the West Columbia location or call them at 803-407-9284. Bring your brand to life with Signorama. Columbia and go game packs. everybody final segment of the show for today of course we're still in power hours here with mike happy to have him mike morgan will also be back tomorrow uh along with we will be joined by matt anderson i believe of the late night gamecock show if you have not listened to it you can get it on spotify or apple podcasts Uh, we drop it on the same feed as the show feed and uh, if you haven't heard Matt, he's a good listen. He's got some things to say and think about and will be an extra voice for us tomorrow as opposed to just listening to me and JB ramble on for an hour uh, until Mike shows up. <laughs> Much love for Matt. I mean, he, he's doing that, you know, solo nighttime. Uh, you know, I remember when I was a young sports talk show host, like those are the kind of opportunities you you, you love to have and, and, and just kind of, <clears throat> refine your skills, polish a little bit, and he's out there uh, paying his dues and doing good work. Love to see that. Love to see that. Tell you what, I also love our great sponsors. Um, so many of the, the, the people that I uh, did business with in Columbia, I'm fortunate to still have today, and and that includes Gary Patterson, State Farm agent. Um, he's out of Lou Golf, also serves you folks out there in the Midlands of Columbia, Lexington, Camden, Blythewood, Um I still have a a home in Columbia, have for over 20 years, and he is still my guy, Gary Patterson. Uh, he's also an ACC referee. I, I can't tell you where he's going to be, but he has a pretty good game this week. So you've seen him on TV, whether you know it or not. <laughs> uh, so he gets yelled at a lot uh, because of he's a referee, but he does not get yelled at as a State Farm agent, does excellent work, and you can check out uh, anything you need, home, auto, life, Again, those of you in uh, the central part of the state, uh, GaryPatterson.net. Check him out. He does uh, fantastic work, and he's been doing it for me for, like I said, more than two decades. Yes. We all yes, love indeed. people. We hey, love one State other, Farm. One other nugget. Um, Arkansas 5-16 and 16 in one possession games. That is how people start getting fired. That's a Scott Frost type uh, thing. Yep. Scott Frost deal there. Yeah, that's exact. That's a great pull. That was Scott Frost wasn't getting blown out every week, but he could not win a one possession game. Just couldn't Sam, do it. Pittman, Pittman, the thing I loved about Pittman, guys like Sam Pittman, though, they have to hire good. They, back up. They have to hire great coordinators. 
because mm-hmm. he's not a coordinator. He's an offensive line coach, uh, mm-hmm. just like Shane Beamer. The, those Dabo. those types of coaches, Dabo, Ed, Coach O. Coach O was a terrible defensive coordinator when he tried to coordinate the defense at Ole Miss. Don't matter. So, I got players, son. I got players. Like, Receipts. You, ha- you have a guy like Dave Aranda. You have a guy like Steve <laughs> Osmunger. You have a guy like Joe Brady and Joe Burrow. You can win if you're Coach O and then go to Destin and have an endless summer and eat average jambalaya forever. Um. <laughs> But guys like them, they need they need great. And Pittman hired two great ones, I thought. Kendall Browse and Barry Odom. That is a studly pair of coordinators. Too good. Were they were they perfect? Mm-hmm. No, but man, Barry Odom fell in his lap. Yeah. Uh, Barry Odom's winning at UNLV now, by the way. Yeah. Well, he was going to be a head coach again. Jeez. Barry was going to get another shot. <laughs> That's, That's the cr- problem when you hire a coordinator that's too, too good as Saban. Well, then they leave for head coaching jobs. Okay, but, you know, so th- those guys need I'm not sure Dan Enos was the right guy uh, with the personnel they had there. And I'm not sure Travis Williams is the right guy either on defense. I mean, they're decent on defense. Uh, they've given up some points, though. So, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Quantrell, finally, we'll wrap up with this. Have you guys covered the Michigan mess? It's a nothing burger Ooh, or something that will push how much time out of the Bears. Listen, dude. I turned on some Chicago sports talk radio this morning. Nothing mm-hmm. but wall-to-wall. Harbaugh. So if he gets Harbaugh. fired, say so it's like, hey, if he gets fired, but he doesn't have anything to do with it, will you take him as a coach of the Bears? I mean, oh, it's it's lit lit up up here. If you I think they take him even if he did have something to do with it. <laughs> Just the <laughs> Well, I mean, look, it's what is the old uh this show is before all of our time. What's the one with the sergeant that always goes, I know nothing? Was that Hogan's Heroes, I believe? Hogan's Heroes, good. Hogan's oh, Heroes, yeah. Good. It's pretty hard as a head coach to say I know nothing, and and say that this this guy, a former Marine with a porn star name, uh, just went rogue, bought tickets to every Big Ten program, had people filming on their cell phones, not the game, but the sideline and the signals, and you're going to try and convince everybody I didn't I didn't know that. I, 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 he, I guess he was working on his internship. I I don't I don't know what that's about. He, the kid's going to be uh, – he's an amateur filmmaker. He's, he's working on a it's – a, it's a period piece. Um, all of a sudden, that story, when it first came out, I guess last week when we were all together on Thursday, I was like, eh. You know, and Jamie kind of shrugged it off. Eh. Everybody goes steals signs. This is different, folks. And there's not a, there's not a gray area. There's a blatant rules violation, what they did. They didn't just scout – I mean, even going back to when we all played in high school, we had coaches that would – I remember having an assistant coach that was gone almost every game. Day. Like, where's our co-? He's scouting the future opponent. He was at, in attendance, and he's scouting. Okay, that's what they do. This is a guy who's videotaping the sideline to steal signals. That's not scouting. So it's not a nothing burger. It's, I don't know what they're going to do. If this is the NCAA loves to flex its muscle when it's an irrelevant team, so if this was like UNLV, they probably threaten them with the death penalty right now. But it just happens to be a Michigan team that could play for a national championship. Good luck with that NCAA. You, you, blatant rules violation, but a major player in the playoff this season if they continue to win out. I think it's fascinating. What? what 
the hell they're going to do. This is like, uh, what was the um, high school team that was a fraud that just showed up? And Bishop Gorman oh, was Bishop that? Sycamore. Bishop Sycamore. That Bishop BSU. Sycamore. Yeah. There's not even yeah. a Bishop Sycamore in the Bible, by the way. Well, there should be. We're going to get nothing- that rectified. Zacchaeus climbed up into the sycamore tree because the Lord he wanted to see, right? He There's was a, a sycamore tree. There's no Bishop Sycamore in the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds religious. Like, the NCAA, like, this is going to be such a long, protracted, well, I mean, that's a, Are you, you going to try to vacate wins from a potential <laughs> national championship team? Are you going to do that? Good luck. If I were that guy mm. that bought all the tickets, I would like, I would claim I had some sort of drug problem. <laughs> and then I was like, <laughs> I was buying tickets on the secondary market, reselling it so I could buy crack cocaine and fall on the sword for Big Blue. I mean, this dude's yeah. a this dude's a marine. He's seen he's seen a few good men. Oh, right. He's a marine. Look at what he he's did a- for the marines too. This, Yo, he's this a guy badass. knows what he's doing. Yeah. He's, he's a, a badass. badass. I don't know why you why you don't mark your Venmo transactions private though. That's right. Fans stallions. Fans found his Venmo and started going through it, and it was like oh, tickets to GA game, Georgia game. Yeah, it was like yeah, tickets to this. And fans have pulled out the whole register. And I plastered it on Twitter. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, man. Yeah. So, anyway. Connor Stallions. That's apparently, that's his real name. That's not his stage name. That, that's a hell of a name. Connor Stallions, the, the I, th- I think uh, Harry Reams was one of his accomplices that was videotaping some of these things. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's see. Who was, who was filming in Champagne? Well, that would have been. Um, now you get the idea. Well, that lot of good it did them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, too, like, obviously they're not going to get away with it for the next few games. So if Michigan, if they went out, then they then they can say, look, we didn't need it anyway. doesn't change yeah. the fact that they broke rules, but they can say, we, did, we, we didn't even need it. We beat Ohio State without that clown, Mr. whatever the hell his name is. We didn't need it. And then we want to play off without him. We didn't need it. Like, that's the defense. I don't know. Tough one. Yeah. Good note to end yeah. on. Scandal. This is like the Patriots inflated balls thing, I think. But, hey, look, Chicago would go – like, you give Jim Harbaugh the first two picks of the draft next year, and Chicago is going to go – they're going to get excited. Of course, the ownership here will never, ever, ever, ever make that move because they're too dumb. And guess what? Well, keep keep in mind too—not just ownership, but management. They have they have uh, Warren, Kevin Warren, the genius that tried to cancel the Grinch that tried to cancel college football during the pandemic. And is you know uh, they got that genius uh, now. He's the president of the team. Um, so I, I just I, you know people talk about the Gamecocks and USC and dysfunction a lot because of the struggles over the years. It is nothing compared to the Chicago Bears and the Chicago White Sox. Nothing. Mm. Nothing. No. You're no. not even close to that kind of misery yet, folks. <laughs> at all. 
Don't say the word yet. <laughs> yet. <laughs> Don't say the word well, yet. Because, the, 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 difference is, the difference is there's probably a couple hundred thousand Gamecock fans, right? Maybe five, four or five hundred living alums or whatever. There's nine million people in Chicago. <laughs> so the collective misery is just, and it's a sports town, so the collective misery is just awful. You turn on Chicago Sports Talk Radio too, and it's not the big. They've been I love you guys. They've been uber floosed. My favorite name. All right, don't forget I'm off tomorrow, y'all. Phil and uh, Jamie and Matt Anderson will be with you. Mike, Mike will be back later this week too. Tomorrow. Tomorrow, we're, we're, we're Mike's back early, tomorrow. Early Fab Five tomorrow. I've got to travel Thursday, so uh, we'll get back into the Salsaritas Fab Five. Give somebody another Fiesta pack. All right, By yeah. the way, Luther 